Good morning. Unfortunately, we're having technical difficulties. Recording in progress. Using our um, devices to speak into the Zoom, but members of the public on Zoom should be able to speak to hear us, and we should be able to speak in into the mics so that you can pick up the audio. So the city council is now called to order. If the clerk will please call the roll. Councilmember Kesarwani is currently absent. Kaplan, absent. Bartlett. Present. Harrison. Here. On. Present. Wengraff is absent. Robinson. Present. Councilman Robinson. Present. Present. Humbert. Here. And Mayor Ergin. Present. Okay, Mayor, just a quick note. So everybody on the dais, can you hear your speaker? Yes. On your device. We can proceed. Okay, so we'll now proceed to the consent calendar. I move the consent calendar. Second. Second. Public comment on the consent calendar. This is one of those play things. This is one of those comments. Following the roll on the consent calendar. On the consent calendar, Council Member Kesarwani is absent. Taplin is absent. Bartlett. Harrison. Yes. On Wengraff is absent. Robinson on the consent calendar. Yes. Yes. Humbert. Yes. And Mayor Arrigan. Yes. Okay. Consent calendar is passed. Consent calendar is approved. We'll proceed now to the public hearings. Item 10 is a public hearing on the renewal of the Elmwood Avenue Business Improvement District for calendar year 2024. We don't need a staff report. We have the report. I'll open the public hearing. Is there any comment on the bid public hearing for the renewal of the Elmwood bid? If so, please raise your hand. I don't see any raised hands on Zoom. Members of public wishing to speak. I'll move to close the public hearing. Second. Roll call. Okay, to close the public hearing, Councilmember Kesarwani is absent. Taplin is absent. Bartlett. Yes. Harrison. Yes. On. Wengraff is absent. Robinson. Yes. Yes. Humbert. Yes. And Mayor Arden. Yes. Okay. Yes. Public hearing is closed. I move adoption of item 10. Second. You need to make things happen. Okay. To approve uh, the renewal of the Elmwood bid, Councilmember Kesarwani is absent. Taplin is absent. Bartlett. Yes. Harrison. Yes. On. Wengraff is absent. Robinson. Yes. Yes. Humbert. Yes. And Mayor Arrigan. Yes. Okay. That's approved. We'll proceed now to item 11. bid hearing for the renewal of the Slum Improvement District. Let's not uh, have a staff report. What is in the packet? Is I'll open the public hearing on item 11. Is public testimony on item 11. Any members of the public should speak on the web. Okay. If not, I'll move to close the public hearing. Second. Second. We'll call and close the public hearing. 
Okay, to close the public hearing, Councilman Kasrawani is absent, Kathleen is absent, Bartlett. Yes. Harrison. Yes. On. On to close the public hearing. Yes. Weingraff is absent, Robinson. Yes. Yes. Humber. Yes. And Mayor Argy. Yes. Okay. I move adoption of item 11. Okay. Okay. To approve the renewal of the Solano bid, Councilmember Kesterwani is absent. Captain is absent. Bartlett. Yes. Harrison. Yes. On. Wengrath is absent. Robinson. Yes. Yes. Humber. Yes. And Mayor Eric. Yes. Okay. That's okay. So before I proceed to the next agenda item, um, sir, you're out of order. Attendees at the meeting are in violation of the rules procedure, the Brooklyn Municipal Code, and state codes. The council is not able to conduct business to this meeting due to the continuous disruptions and members of the audience. Local disruptions of the conduct of this meeting will not be tolerated. If disruptions continue, the council will take action to restore order and may, may include removal of the disruptive persons or reconvening this meeting at a different location. The council will now take a 10 minute recess and reconvene at that time. If we are not able to uh, restore order, then we will proceed with the rest of the meeting. Thank you. Recording stopped.
The city council is back in session. If members of the public can please stop disrupting our meeting. We need to proceed with our business. Thank you. So we'll now proceed to item 12, amendments to the Berkeley Election Reform Act to ensure consistency with the Act for Cost of Living Adjustments and Committee Reporting Requirement Thresholds. Once again, if members of the public can please stop interrupting the meeting so we can proceed with our business. This is my last warning to members of the public to please stop violating our rules of procedure. Please, if you can please cease disrupting our meeting. Okay, since the council cannot conduct business of this meeting due to the continuing disruption by members of the public in the audience who are yelling and chanting and disrupting our meeting, this disruption has rendered the orderly conduct of the meeting unfeasible and the council will proceed with the meeting without members of the public present in the location in order to allow the orderly completion of the business as permitted by the Brown Act. So we are evoking the authority under government code section 549-57.9. This meeting will also continue to broadcast via Zoom. Members of the press who have not participated in the disruption will be allowed entry into the new meeting location by showing press identification to the city clerk and the dais. In the meantime, the council is in recess.
Recording in progress. Recording stopped. Do you want to check with Councilor Robinson that he can hear? I can't hear you, Mark. Councilor Robinson, can you hear us? I can. Can you hear me? Yes. yes. Great. So, Mark. Okay. So, um, the council is assembled in a, in a different room location um, due to the disruption that occurred in the boardroom, which prevented us from being able to proceed with um, the orderly conduct of the meeting. Um, I, I did ask the members of the public who were willfully disrupting the meeting to cease the disruption, and they refused to um, cease the disruption and come to order. So, therefore, we are convening under the Brown Act Government Code Section 54957.9. The council is meeting in a, um, a different meeting location. We are participating on Zoom, so members of the public can speak and observe the proceedings of the council. And, and any members of the public, um, members of the press, are allowed to um, sit in the recording meeting, in progress room and observe the proceedings as well. Mayor, uh, could I ask you to read that one more time? Now that we're recording, because now that we're recording, can somebody turn off their? We're getting back. To they back. could be the only one that's on. Right. Everyone needs to turn off their audio. Their speaker. Speaker. Okay. 
Okay, okay thank, thank you. you. I, I would now, now like to, to again um, say, say what, what I just said. said. Um, so, so it's on the recording, recording. members of the public can hear it. Unfortunately, um, members of the public have willfully disrupted the meeting and made it difficult for us to proceed with our business. I had issued multiple warnings and asked people to cease disrupting the meeting. Um, and unfortunately, we are not able to proceed with our business um, in the city council chambers. So under government code section 54957.9, the council is reconvening this meeting in a new location. location. Members of the press, press are able to observe the council conducting business, and we are also um, allowing for members of the public to observe and to speak on Zoom. Zoom. So with so that, that we proceed to the next order of business, business which once, once again was item 12. I attempted to call that item up, but we were um, prevented from being able to discuss the item. Item 12 is a public hearing and amendments to the Berkeley Election Format to ensure consistency within the, the Act for Cost of Living Adjustments and Committee Reporting Thresholds. Um, is there a staff, staff presentation item or staff bill questions? Thank you, members of the Council. Uh, the item before you today is a set of technical amendments to the Berkeley Election Reform Act. Uh, there are certain places in the uh, Election Reform Act which use the old $250 contribution limit as a benchmark. Um, as, as you likely recall, uh, two years ago, the Fair Campaign Practices Commission and the city council uh, approved uh, ongoing adjustments to that $250 contribution limit for cost of living. Uh, so that $250 contribution limit now sits at $270. These are a few places we've identified in the act that rather than sort of neatly cross-referencing to a floating adjusting dollar amount, they simply state $250. So in order to sort of bring them uh, up, to, up to speed with the rest of the act, ensure uh, coherence among the act, um, they've, they've been adjusted. So they're really, um, you know, largely sort of technical to ensure that there's a sort of coherence within the act. Um, and, um, you know, the uh, commission commission uh, chair Hines asked me to relay that, you know, the commission, you know, reviews these, these items carefully and, uh, you know, put a lot of time and, and thought into it and, and, and considered, uh, you know, the input of staff very carefully. Um, again, these are largely sort of a technical set of amendments um, they were passed by two-thirds of the Fair Campaign Practices Commission. Uh, if passed by two-thirds again today, they, they will go into effect as amendments to uh, Bureau. Okay, thank, thank you very, very much. much. Colleagues, any, any questions? questions? Um, yes, Councilor Harrison. Yes, yes, and I don't have to get my volume back, so I'm just going to speak loudly. Um, I had one question on campaign finance, uh, the public financing. The dollar amount for cash contributions has not changed. It used to be you could give... Forty nine ninety nine, and it's a fifty dollar limit, and it's still forty nine ninety nine instead of fifty nine ninety nine. So I would ask you to take that back to the commission and get that resolved because it's, it's an awkward situation. Yeah, I think I think that happy to take that back and review with the commission. Any other questions from members of the council? Yes, council. I don't really. I just want to um, say that I appreciate the good work of members of the FCPC and the party and the city attorney's office. Um, I've, I've sat, sat on the FCPC for a while, and I know good and careful work. Um, the commission does. So thank, thank you very much, and thank, thank you, Chair Hines, particularly. Any other Any questions from members of the council on item twelve? Members of the bureau. Okay, if not, we'll take public. I'll open the public hearing on twelve. The amendments to the Berkeley Election Reform Act, and ask are there any members of the public who speak on the side. Mr. Clerk, if you can make me a co-host, yes. Thank you. It just happened. 
Mayor, you're sharing. Oh, mm -hmm. I'm sharing. Not. Oh, sorry. Okay. So Once again, we'll take public comment as part of the public hearing item 12, and then this is the Berkeley Electoral Reform Act to ensure consistency with the act for cost of living adjustments in committee reporting requirement thresholds. We'll take any public comment from members in Zoom. Is that there was two instances of e-marriage? Is that the right one? I just made a co-host. Whitney Sparks, Sparks, public hearing, public comment on item 12. Okay, I don't believe there's speakers on this item 12. Uh, Cordell Hindler. Can you hear my voice? Yes, we can. So good morning, Mayor Aragina, council members uh, and staff. So I'm gonna try to stick to the item. So I looked at the, uh, the ordinance and I don't have no problem with it. So hopefully the council will approve the first reading. So it will go to the next, uh, to, for the second reading, so that's it. Okay, JD on item 12, the Barra amendments. Public yeah, comment on item 12. Thank you. I'd like the council to call for a ceasefire and stand in solid. Okay, thank you. I'll move to close the public hearing. Second. Okay, let's call the roll and close the public hearing. Okay, to close the public hearing, Councilmember Kisarwani. Yes. Taplin. Yes. Bartlett. Yes. Harrison. Yes. On. Yes. Lengraf is absent. Robinson. Yes. Humbert. Yes. And Mayor Arrigan. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, I'll make a motion to uh, adopt the first reading of the ordinance for item 12. Sorry. Second. Okay, colleagues, any other questions or comments on this item? If not, if we can please call the roll. Councilmember Kisarwani. Yes. Taplin. Yes. Bartlett. Yes. Harrison. Yes. Con. Yes. Wengraff. Absent. Robinson. Yes. Humbert. Yes. And Mayor Arrigan. Yes. Okay. Motion carried. Okay. Thank you. Okay. So we'll now proceed to our last agenda item, which is item 13. This is a public hearing in action on amendments to Berkeley Municipal Code Title 23, our zoning ordinance, amendments to zoning map, general plan of land use, diagram, and general plan relating to Southside Zoning Implementation Program for the 2023 to 2031 Housing Element Update. And so um, um, I know that we have some supplemental items which um, have, were introduced in the um, supplemental two-pack. I believe there's a sub three from Councilmember Hahn. I move adoption of the supplemental material from Councilmember Hahn. Second. Um, and everyone should have a copy of it. So the question is on acceptance. Um, um, accepting the um, supplemental material um, on item 13. Can we please hold? Councilmember Kisarwani? Pass. Taplin? Pass. Bartlett? Yes. Harrison? Yes. Hahn? Yes. Wengraff is absent. Robinson? Yes. Humbert? Pass. Mayor Aragine? Yes. Um, okay. Um, Councilmember Kisarwani? Yes. Kaplan, yes, and Humbert, yes. Okay. Okay. So that's also proposed. Thank you. So I'm going to forward to planning staff to present on item 13. Good morning, council members. Jordan Klein, Director of Planning Development. 
uh, we're very pleased to be advancing this item to city council for consideration. It really is the culmination of years worth of work, including a massive amount of community engagement. Uh, and in terms of housing production, this item, I think, would represent one of the most important and impactful programs of the recent housing element update. I want to just start by acknowledging and thanking everyone that's worked on this item, um, uh, starting with council members for your policy leadership on this. And, and I want to include and acknowledge former council member Chris Worthington. Uh, many, of, many of his referrals kick this work off. Um, all of the planning commission members whose thoughtful input really substantially shaped the proposals that are before you today. All of the community members who took the time to tell us what they wanted to see in the South side, especially the many students who have engaged with us on, on this issue. And I really wanna thank all the staff who've worked on this item, including now retired Beth Green, uh, Grace Wu, Ashley James, Zoe Cavello, Aileen Pearson, and others, including Justin Horner, to whom I will now turn over the presentation. Take it away, Justin. Good morning, everyone. Let me make sure if I can. Is the first slide visible to everyone? Okay, great. Um, good morning, Mayor Aragine and members of the City Council, Justin Horner, Planning Department staff. Uh, this morning, I'm here to present revisions to our land use regulations in the Southside Plan Area. At today's meeting, we are asking the City Council to review the proposed change in, changes and ask any clarifying questions, hold a public hearing, and adopt amendments to the BMC and the zoning map, as well as conforming amendments to the general plan and the general plan map. We also would ask Hello. the council. Oh, wait, this one's on. Oh. Hey, welcome to Alvin. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's take a break. The boardroom mics are active, so if we can disable them on the boardroom. Mr. Horner, please. Oh, we were saying, Berkeley City Council, would you support, would you support a ceasefire? You're supporting stopping killing Palestinians. You say that Black Lives Matter? Well, apparently Palestinian lives don't matter. That, cease fire now. 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 Come on, stop being. Okay, Mr. Horner, they muted the mics in the boardroom. Apologies for the disruption. Uh, you have the floor. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Uh, we also would ask that the council to refer to the city manager to analyze prevailing wage requirements for de development projects as included in the planning commission's letter to the council. As director Klein mentioned, starting in 2016, the city council's passed a number of referrals to direct staff to amend our planning codes to increase development potential in the south side plan area. Consistent with that direction, the housing element update included two programs that specifically call for action in the south side to support housing development. Over the past year, staff has conducted a wide range of community engagement, including outreach to several community groups, city council and planning commission work sessions and discussions, as well as consultation with the design review committee. The planning commission held a public hearing at its meeting of September 6th and recommended approval of the amendments before you this morning. The Planning Commission's action also included the drafting of a letter to the City Council, included as Attachment 5 of your staff report, in which I will briefly summarize. 
The Planning Commission's letter included comments related to prevailing wage requirements, land value capture and community benefits, and master leasing. As part of the recommended action, staff proposed that the City Council adopt a referral, including a budget referral for associated consulting services for analysis of potential prevailing wage requirements. In response to City Council's existing referral regarding value capture and community benefits, the Planning Commission in 2019 found that the proposed zoning changes would increase funding for affordable housing, which is the primary community benefit outcome. In 2022, the City Council considered and approved an affordable housing fee that scales up with more development, meaning that developers will contribute more to affordable housing as their projects become larger. The City Council has also recently referred a Southside Impact Fee Nexus study to establish an impact fee to fund Southside public realm improvements. And additionally, the Hard Hats Ordinance includes workforce-related benefits for larger projects, such as those that are encouraged by the proposed zoning changes. City Council has also referred consideration of a Southside Local Density Bonus Program. And in July 2021, the City and the University entered into a settlement agreement to resolve mutual claims around development impacts and processes. The city and the university are actively engaged in discussions regarding the university's practice of master leasing off-campus residential buildings. So now on to the proposed changes. The proposed zoning changes would apply only to parcels within the Southside plan area, the area outlined in light blue in the slide. The area includes five zoning districts. The CT, RS, and RSMU zoning districts are unique to the Southside. And for the R3 district, the proposed changes would only apply within the south side. R3 parcels elsewhere would continue to be subject to existing regulations. There are a small number of parcels that are zoned CSA, but there are no changes proposed for those parcels. There are seven primary changes to zoning standards within the south side plan area as shown in the slide. I will offer brief details of each of them, but all of them move in the direction of one, allowing more development on a lot, and two, establishing objective standards. That is standards that are set in the code and cannot be exceeded or changed by getting another permit. Currently, residential uses are not allowed on the ground floor of buildings in the CT district. The proposed changes include allowing residential uses on the ground floor behind commercial uses. The commercial use would need to occupy the entire building frontage with some exceptions, and have a depth of at least 30 feet from the front property line. This change supports the pedestrian orientation of the Telegraph Commercial District by maintaining commercial use on the ground floor, but allows more flexibility to include residential uses. Residential uses are already permitted on the ground floor in all other zoning districts in the south side. This slide provides a high-level look at the overall set of proposed changes to the existing development standards. There are two new standards, maximum floor area ratio and minimum density, as well as revisions to the current height, setback, and usable open space provisions. There are three standards that have been removed, building separation, lot coverage, and minimum lot size. This collection of standards responds to direction from the council to simplify development standards and provide more flexibility in project design while increasing the potential for more housing in the south side. The proposed standards include a new maximum floor area ratio or FAR standard for all zoning districts in the south side. An FAR standard regulates overall building bulk while allowing flexibility in project design. The FAR is based upon approximately 95% of a parcel's maximum zoning envelope, including height and setback requirements. 
There is an existing FAR standard in the CT zoning district, which is increased under the proposed changes, and also the difference between parcels in the CT north and south of Dwight has been removed. Another new proposed standard is a minimum density standard. While there is currently a maximum density standard for group living accommodations in the south side, there are no other explicit density controls. The proposed standards include minimum densities expressed in dwelling units per acre and removal of the maximum density standards for the GLAs. The proposed standards do not include a maximum density standard consistent with feedback to not cap housing in the south side and to accommodate the provision of a variety of unit types, such as those shown in the illustrations in the slide. The proposed zoning changes include increases in maximum heights and the removal of the ability to exceed these heights with a permit. Parcels in the R3 and RS districts that are located in the hillside overlay will continue to be subject to those height provisions. These maximum heights do not include additional height that may be included in state density bonus projects, which could exceed these heights by 100% or more. The current setback requirements vary by the number of stories and whether a lot is in the interior or corner of a block, and they can also be modified with a zoning permit. The proposed standards reduce the minimum required setbacks and adopt an objective standard for each setback that cannot be changed with the zoning permit. And they also create one standard that applies to a project regardless of the building's height. Currently, open space standards vary by zoning district and are based on the number of units in a proposed project. The proposed standard would calculate open space requirements based upon the total residential floor area of a proposed project, not the number of units. This is consistent with recent changes we've made in the calculation of the affordable housing fee and acknowledges that student-oriented housing may not always consist of conventional dwelling units. The proposed changes also include two new compliance paths for meeting this open space requirement. The first allows a project to provide up to 50% of the total amount of re required usable open space through shared residential amenities that may be indoors, such as multipurpose rooms or fitness areas. This recommendation was based on a city-led survey of more than 500 students that showed a preference for these types of indoor amenities over typical outdoor spaces, such as balconies, courtyards, and roof decks. The second compliance path is an option to provide pedestrian amenities in districts where a front yard setback is not required. The development of this option reflects feedback to expand active frontages and create more open space at the sidewalk in these denser areas. The space would need to be located on private property along the building frontage. And given the relatively small area that would be eligible and feasible for this type of space, this space would count one and a half times towards meeting the minimum amount of usable open space required in a project. This type of space is often allowed or even incentivized in some downtown environments, including Oakland and San Francisco. An example can be seen in a recent project at Ashby and San Pablo. The building is set back from the front property line where no setback is required in order to provide outdoor cafe seating and a residential entry amenity. These amenities on private property would supplement any offsite public improvements that could be introduced in the south side pursuant to the council's recent referral to consider establishing an open space impact fee. The next two development standards are proposed to be removed for projects in the south side plan area. 
Currently, buildings located on a single lot are required to be separated from one another by a minimum of eight feet, with the required separation increasing as a building gets taller. The proposed changes include eliminating building separation requirements altogether. FAR and setback standards would be used to control bulk on a single site. Multiple buildings on a lot with reduced building separation are part of the existing fabric in the south side in some areas, such as along the 2200 blocks of Durant and Channing in the R3 zone, as shown in the slide. Similarly, each zoning district currently includes a maximum lot coverage standard. The proposed zoning changes would remove lot coverage maximums. Building bulk would still be regulated through FAR, setbacks, and building height. As can be seen in the image in the slide, many areas of the south side are already built out beyond existing lot coverage standards, including the three parcels outlined on the map that approach or exceed 70% lot coverage. The proposed changes also include adjustments to two zoning districts in the south side, effectively upzoning a number of parcels in four parts of the plan area. The adjustments of the zoning districts also include conforming changes to the underlying general plan land use designations. The map in the slide shows the areas where the residential Southside mixed use or RSMU district would be expanded. Those areas are outlined in red. The RSMU allows more intensive development than the current zoning of these parcels, which is residential Southside or RS or multiple family residential R3. The second adjustment rezones an area in the southwest of the plan area outlined in red in the slide from R3 to RS. The RS district allows more intensive development than the current zoning. In addition to changes in development standards, these zoning boundary adjustments would permit commercial uses that are currently not permitted in these areas, although a use permit and public hearing would be required. This slide compares permitted commercial uses in each of the three subject districts. And finally, it should be noted that an addendum to the housing element update EIR was completed as part of the preparation of these zoning changes. The housing element update EIR certified in January assumed 1000 additional housing units would be feasible under the proposed changes in the south side and evaluated potential environmental impacts based on that number. However, in preparing the specific development standards, staff estimated that as many as 2,650 units would be feasible, which is more than what was evaluated in the housing element EIR. Accordingly, an addendum was prepared to compare the impacts of that higher number of units to the impacts identified in the original housing element EIR. The addendum determined that potential impacts are consistent with those disclosed in the housing element EIR and that no new significant impacts would occur. Accordingly, no major revisions to the EIR were required, nor is the preparation of a subsequent EIR. Um, thank you very much for your time and attention, and we are available to answer any questions. Okay, thank you very much. So I'd like to give Council Robinson an opportunity to read a supplemental or present a supplemental, and then Councilor Hahn after that. Terrific. Good morning. Can you hear me all right? Yes. Excellent. Well, hello, hello. Uh, let me start with my gratitude to staff for their work on this item. Uh, believe me, it is a bummer to not be there in person in the room with you for this final discussion, but I do have, I managed to inadvertently pack two copies of the slide deck, so I'm well equipped. Uh, and apologies that it's been difficult for me to tell what's happening in the room this morning uh, to my colleagues and staff there. Hope you're doing okay. I know these meeting procedures are not measures we have ever taken before during my time on the council. And I know they're not taken lightly. 
But to the matter at hand, I thank you again so much to our staff and the Planning Commission for the years of work that brought us to this moment. Uh, and just as importantly, echoing uh, Director Klein's remarks, I want to express my gratitude to Councilmember Chris Worthington and the generations of student housing advocates that have come before us. These zoning amendments are the culmination of years of work, years of outreach, years of conversations that go back to my time on campus. To help illustrate how far we've come at last week's meeting, I brought a prop. Uh, some of my colleagues on the council might have seen me lug it in. It was those huge foam diagrams from the, uh, the More Student Housing Now proposals at the Planning Commission in 2017 and 2018. I keep it in my office. It's a memento. It means a lot to me. Uh, but I wanted to point out to you the reforms that were being advocated for at the time and to help show just how much the, the Overton window has been transformed. One of them was a car-free overlay on Southside. Today, when we use the phrase car-free on Southside, we're usually talking about banning cars from streets like Telegraph. That proposal was about creating an area that didn't have parking minimums required. That project, of course, is obsolete now because we've done that citywide and statewide. Uh, there was also a push to have two 12-story buildings permitted on Southside, and now we'll be looking at having 12-story buildings permitted across multiple corridors of the Southside. There was also talk of 20-foot height increases a significant increase, but in some of the zones we're looking at, we're going to see height increases. Yeah, I think there are some parcels where the permissible height will actually outright double, and then you factor in uh, two layers of density bonuses, and it's an entirely different landscape. This is all to say we have come such a long way from where the conversation has started. A staff came to me probably, I mean, two years ago, three years ago, uh, with an initial scope of work that would have built towards legalizing a thousand new units on south side i said then that i i appreciated the work but i didn't think that that met the severity of the housing crisis or the urgency of the moment and i said that i bet that students and all the residents of the neighborhood would have their back if they could develop zoning changes that were even more ambitious and they said bet and so as the final zoning amendments were developed they expanded in scope and led us to even amending our contract uh, to expand the EIR for the project. And now we're looking at a set of zoning amendments that allow upwards of 2,500 units to be built right next to campus. This is such a huge deal uh, for students, of course, in the student housing crisis, but just as importantly for the city as a whole. You know, on campus, we know that student housing insecurity has become the defining characteristic of the student experience at UC Berkeley today. And make no mistake, the university bears a significant responsibility for that, having failed to build new dormitories for years. But now the city and the university can together be part of the solution. With a shortage of units right next to campus, new students are forced to look further and further away to find units they can afford. And that drives up prices, drives the gentrifying force of the university. And so truly, I think for the citywide, one of the most important things we can do to alleviate pressure on our housing market as a whole is to meet as completely as we can the demand for student housing right next to campus. And as students who can't afford those new units rent them, more rooms will be available in our older and more affordable rent-controlled housing stock. I could talk about this for far longer, but I'll resist the temptation. Let me turn my attention to my proposed direction today as well as the discussion we've been hearing in our inboxes. Uh, colleagues, I hope you'll find in your supplemental two packets, a motion filed by Councilmember Humbert and I 
with tremendous gratitude for the work of city staff and our planning commission. I'm mindful that I don't think we've closed a public hearing, so I can't make a motion yet, but I propose the following direction for my colleagues' consideration. I would move adoption of the Southside zoning reforms as presented by staff with three key additions. First, this motion proposes adopting the prevailing wage proposal for large projects in Southside alongside the Southside zoning changes as discussed by the Planning Commission at their September 15th meeting. These will be implemented strictly by attestation and enforced by private right of action. There's one additional change to that or expanded direction that I want to make sure we explore in this conversation today, which is to make sure that the language is encompassing of registered apprenticeships, not specifically and exclusively those with the building trades. I'm very glad that this conversation emerged at the Planning Commission, and I imagine we're all united in wanting prevailing wages to be provided to workers on construction projects in all of Berkeley as often as possible and when feasible. The question becomes, how do we go about pursuing that goal, and what impacts does that have on the feasibility of housing construction? Those questions are critical to the success of a new labor standard and are the basis of my second recommendation which is to revise the staff recommendations prevailing wage proposal to move the budget referral from FY 2025 up to the AAO number one right ahead of us for FY 24 for imminent consideration in the budget process. Additionally, the motion broadens the scope of the referral to ensure that if funded, this feasibility study would evaluate prevailing wage requirements citywide rather than restricting the study to proposed projects in one district. And staff are encouraged to fold this study into our currently ongoing feasibility analysis to ensure that citywide prevailing wage policy options and vetting those we would take up today are able to be considered in the near term. I believe uh, in order to advance a policy goal of maximizing the provision of prevailing wages to workers building our desperately needed new housing stock, we should pursue a policy cocktail of both requirements and incentives, sticks and carrots, if you will. I believe there's a threshold out there of project size that can sustain prevailing wage requirements. And with our feasibility analysis, we can identify that threshold. But we should also seek to identify the ways that we can incentivize projects to offer prevailing wages, just like our public works projects. And one way we could consider doing that is by granting SB 35 ministerial approval to certain qualifying projects with prevailing wages before otherwise required by the state. SB 35 already, and and SB 423, I think I should call it now, uh, of course, already applies to projects with a majority of affordable units. But when our ARENA numbers are reassessed in a few years, it's quite likely that SB 35 streamlining will then also be mandated for prevailing wage projects that include a mix of market rate units. By embracing that option, by embracing that system proactively, we can help get ahead on our ARENA goals and most importantly, establish a clear incentive for projects of any and all sizes to seek to offer prevailing wages. And so since we fortunately have a housing feasibility analysis underway already, our hope is that we can refer to staff to expand the scope of that work to ensure that prevailing wage policies are considered in the context of our other fees and the landscape of construction costs. Then we'll be able to chart the most responsible course forward for this policy issue citywide. That's that on that. And third, the motion suggests direction responsive to concerns raised in Councilmember Hahn's supplemental item from last week relating to window requirements for habitable spaces in new construction. Habitable space 
that's defined in the zoning code. I think this is an important policy consideration that'll continue to come up anywhere that we have maximum lot coverage standards. I'm sure many of you read about that dungeon of a mega dorm proposed in Santa Barbara without windows for many tenants. There may be trade-offs between this goal and maximizing private bedrooms and units, but those are the sorts of things that we should research and understand before adopting a policy. And it's really apt, I think, for referral today. So thank you, Councilmember Hahn, for raising that issue. That is my motion, uh, which we can unpack further and make after the public hearing closes. I also want to nod to all the communications that we've received on the issue of master leases and note that thanks to our 2021 agreement with UC Berkeley, campus master leasing of private developments will soon be a thing of the past. Several of them have been released already, and as new dormitories come online, this temporary strategy should be phased out entirely. And so the sooner we can cut the ribbon on more dormitories next to campus, the sooner we can end the student housing crisis and the sooner we can fully end the campus practice of master leasing. Uh, so thank you to all those who have written in about that to raise that issue. In closing, you know, we're on the cusp of a historic vote today. Uh, it's been years in the making. It's a really big deal. And I just want to express again my appreciation to all of you for your partnership and for your support of building more student housing now. Thank you. Thank you, Councilor Robinson. Before we go to Councilor Hahn, I just have a, a question about uh, one element of your proposal for staff. Yeah. Um, so with respect to number three, which I very much appreciate including to include prevailing wage requirements for projects in the South Side area, how would we be able to effectuate that as part of this action today? Because it's not in the ordinance text. How would we go about implementing that? Mr. Klein? Yeah, sure. Um, <clears throat> So I think we would want to confer with the city attorney's office um, ab about where exactly the proposed language um, would fit. You know, I, I know there was language that the planning commission did consider at their meeting um, and that, you know, I, I've reviewed that language and I think that it, it seems workable um, staff I think, again, we'll want to confer with the city attorney's office to determine whether it fits in Title 13 or 23 and whether we want to make any amendments to the the, the language as presented. We will, if, if adopted by city council, we would um, <clears throat> work with the, with the city attorney's office to craft language that we feel is, um, you know, is, 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 can be final and implementable and bring it back to the council as soon as possible. Um, and at that time also determine with the city attorney's office whether we would recommend that be a new first reading. So basically we're stating our intent to adopt prevailing wage language and directing the city attorney to come back, city manager and city attorney to come back with the ordinance to codify that. Um, but then there's the question of the overlap between when this takes effect and when the prevailing wage language takes effect. So could, preconceivably, could we pass this, this ordinance today to say that the effective date of this ordinance will be upon the effective date of the prevailing wage amendment? Because there is, because we're kind of bifurcating. So I just want to, I mean, I think our intent is to ensure that projects under this new 
this new zoning are subject to the prevailing wage requirements. So we would have to include that that specific um, um, language. Okay. I understand that um, to be the direction. Councilor Harrison on that point? Yeah, no, I have a question about no, that. No, we're going to go to Councilor Hahn next on oh, supplement. I thought we were asking you questions. No, no, I just, I just want to get clarification on one part of Robinson's. I do too, but should I wait? Yes. Thank you. Well, I'll be right after Thank you. I just, I, just, I just want to understand how we're going to effectuate I, I agree. number three. Okay. And I think we have clarity. Councilor Hahn. Thank you. Shall I turn my um, microphone on or? No, it... this microphone is for everybody. Oh, this microphone's yeah. picking everything up. Okay, thank you. I wasn't sure. The protocols, well, thank you very much. I'll speak um, for those on Zoom. We can hear you great. Well, oh, thank you. Thank you so much. And before I start, um, has Council Member Robinson received a copy of the SEPGRI? I did send it to the clerk last night. Just yes. a couple minutes ago. Yes, thank you. Okay, yes. I, I'm sorry that that didn't get to you sooner. Um, it is really just um, refinements to the original supplemental that I filed. Um, the only new element is supporting the addition of the labor um, prevailing wage element. So um, it's just uh, more information. So... <laughs> I want to thank staff. I know this has been a huge journey. I want to thank you, Councilmember Robinson, and um, everyone who has who has worked on this. Significant changes are being proposed here. The development capacity for this area is essentially being doubled, but given the smaller unit sizes and bedroom sizes that we're seeing now, I think we can expect that the population of this area might triple. And that's a good thing. There's a lot of students and um, there's a, a huge need for student housing. Um, other people may wish to live in that district as well, of course. Um, and this will enable many more students uh, to benefit from the full college experience of being close to libraries, um, school facilities, social opportunities, and all the things that round out um, a really meaningful college experience. But in the buy-right environment, where there are no opportunities project by project to etigate or mitigate unintended impacts, I think it's incumbent on us to be particularly careful, not just about the broad brushstrokes, um, but also about uh, the details. I think it's important to consider ancillary and potentially unintended impacts, and that's what I've tried to done with my supplemental. Zoning is not just about how you use your own parcel, but how you use your how the use of your parcel impacts other parcels and the public realm. The changes before us largely remove development constraints on the parcels themselves. For all intents and purposes, you can build out your parcel almost entirely because the setbacks are very limited, and we're taking away the other traditional constraints like um, a lot coverage, and we are introducing a very high FAR. In some locations, you may be able to go 16 stories or higher. I think we can all agree that these are very, very significant um, broad brushstroke changes that allow a huge intensification of development on each parcel by itself. 
I think some of the externalities have not been adequately mm -hmm. considered, and my proposals seek to address them. Some of what I proposed, I know, can be effectuated immediately. Other things um, probably could only be effectuated through a referral. I did speak with staff, with uh, Director Klein, and uh, he indicated that staff has the ability to bring back language at a second reading for a number of these elements and would be prepared to do so if um, the city council referred uh, such action to them. Going quickly through the different elements, um, the first that I have uh, suggested we incorporate and uh, Director Klein, um, correct me if I misunderstood, but my understanding was that you felt staff could bring something back with around green roofs um, very quickly. Is that correct? Uh, Councilmember Hahn, I do think that staff could uh, prioritize this policy item as part of consideration of the South Side. Um, upon further consideration, I think that this, uh, this may require recirculating this specific policy component to the Planning Commission, given that there, there was no consideration of, of green roofs or any even adjacent policy. Um, okay, so that's a change from our conversation. Yeah. But I, I understand I, that. Okay, that's great. That's good to know. Thank you. And good that I checked with you. I don't want to, I don't want to misspeak on your behalf. So um, we are basically taking away almost all of the open space in, in the district um, where we're going to a fully urbanized, uh, it's potentially more lot coverage than in New York City. I don't know. Um, but we're allowing basically edge-to-edge -edge development. And so the opportunities for earth, greenery, and um, trees and foliage and elements that reduce the heat island effect and provide shade um, and habitat and other things that I know we all care about are significantly constrained with the zoning. That is why I am suggesting that in this area at this time, as we do this upzoning, we seek to impose a green roof requirement. The green roofs are required in other cities, in comparable cities, not just big cities, but places like Cambridge, Massachusetts. And in my uh, additional materials I brought in today, I have a little more information about that and a picture of um, what this kind of roof can look like. Given what uh, Mr. Klein just shared, I think um, I'm asking my colleagues if they would be open to adding a referral to the Planning Commission to consider a green roof requirement for the South Side area and potentially also citywide. I do think it's of special importance here because we don't have any zoning anywhere in the city mm -hmm. that has such large uh, sort of unlimited lot coverage uh, allowances. And I think this puts us, this particular set of, of zoning amendments really puts us in a very different position from where we are anywhere else. Uh, the second is to require main living areas and bedrooms to have windows. I appreciate Councilmember Robinson's um, interest in referring this. 
I'm going to go back to Mr. Klein. This was also an area where Mr. Klein had indicated the possibility of coming back with something quickly, and I better double check with them on that. And, and, I, and I apologize, Councilmember Hahn, but this is another one where upon further reflection and consultation with staff, it's, <clears throat> it's a specific policy issue that was not considered by the Planning Commission. Um, and therefore, I, I think this also would likely uh, require uh, recirculation to the Planning Commission. Why don't I just ask you now, Mr. Klein, is there anything that you have previously said to me that you could do, that you can still do? Or shall yeah, I just so, so, so I think your, your third item regarding setbacks and the, the frontage, you know, the frontage strip that you, that you called it, this I do. This is encompassed in in what the planning commission considered. It's okay. related to the setback issue, and so that item would not need to be recirculated to the planning commission. Okay, thank you so much. That's very helpful. So uh, requiring, I think I think my student supplementals um, uh, pretty clearly explain what the issue is here. Uh, when you take away lot coverage um, and uh, requirement lot coverage maximums and you take away and, and you put forward a, a, an FAR that allows you to basically maximize that um, cube on the parcel that is created simply by setbacks. You take away the requirement to have a de facto requirement to have windows. Um, I don't think that was the intent. I am assuming that that is an unintended uh, outcome. I want to say that we are not going into a buy right environment, and we could potentially be in a position to have a project brought to us. Should we take a moment or have a sense that the focus is lost here? I'm just trying to check in about what's going on to make sure that we. Oh, I didn't know something bad was You can proceed. Um, I'm just working with staff to manage the situation effectively. Okay, thank you. I didn't mean just for you. I wondered if. Yeah, was... I got a little distracted. I'm sorry. That's fine. I'm back. Okay. All right. So I think we, we need to understand that in a buy right environment, we may be in a position where we are required. required by state law to ministerially approve a development with units that have no or almost no windows, no or almost no access to ventilation and natural light. And I, I have to believe that that is not the intent of um, folks who are supporting these changes. And I, I think it is uh, questionable whether we should approve without some kind of requirement around access to light and air. Um, even if we refer this, there is going to be a period of time where applications can come in and be approved by right, um, like the building uh, that was proposed for UC Santa Barbara, that I think everyone was rightfully pretty shocked and horrified about. So we will not have agency to say no to that project um, if we do not adopt some kind of natural light and air requirements. The supplemental that I brought today actually has 
um, some suggested illustrative uh, regs that are just loosely based on regs that um, exist elsewhere for natural light and ventilation. And by the way, as suggested here, they would allow for um, an interior bedroom, one interior bedroom, so long as it had a, uh, a lot of glazing um, and openings on one wall and wasn't too far mm -hmm. from another wall that actually opened to the outdoors. So there's also consideration of studio and alcove type configurations um, or one bedrooms that might have an interior, uh, one bedroom units that might have an interior bedroom, but that bedroom would still have to have access to light and air from, from the outdoors. I, I had relied on Director Klein's uh, representation that we could do something like this quickly uh, upon second reading. It sounds like that is no longer a possibility. I would urge us in referring this to also specify that this essentially moved to number one on the Planning Commission's agenda so that we can have something back in front of us in January or February of this year and adopt a standard first for the Southside area and then subsequently we can look at it citywide. But I, I really urge my um, colleagues and I would like to suggest that whatever uh, referral we have, because that's our only option, indicate the urgency of addressing this matter so we are not caught in a situation where we get an application that we are very unhappy with. Um, the sidewalk widening, I, I think what was done by the Planning Commission and staff is it, with the incentive is it's quite lovely. Um, there's two things that I think uh, we we are missing though with what we have. First of all, as I state clearly in my supplemental, if we're gonna triple the number of people in this area and expand the areas where very, very dense housing can occur, we need wider sidewalks. If you go to Telegraph Avenue on busy days, people are already spilling off the sidewalks. If we triple, which is what we're doing here, we, we are potentially tripling the number of pedestrians. Uh, who are going to be going in and out of these buildings, the sidewalks are inadequate. So the question is, are we going to widen our sidewalks, use public funds to do that, or can we do something very simple that takes nothing away from residential floor pipes and actually potentially can add space to the housing uh, floor plates above and require a just ground floor, I'm calling it a, a frontage zone, mm -hmm. because a setback requires you to go all the way to the top of the building. If you have a setback requirement of 10 feet, every single floor gets 10 feet cut off of it. But the frontage strip that I am proposing here is only on the ground floor. Mm -hmm. And the only square footage it takes away is retail space. It's ground floor commercial space that is impacted. On upper floors, you have the same setback 
as the part as is required by the zoning and i'm adding in the the right the by right encroachments on the second stories and above into the public right away for bay windows and balconies which potentially adds to the square footage of the floor plates above so you gain a huge amount at the pedestrian and um, human level outside of the structure and you actually gain residential floor plate opportunities on the floors above i really urge my colleagues mm -hmm. given that staff is saying that we can effectuate this at this time to adopt the requirement that in the ct and the let me get it right the um newly expanded um excuse me um the newly expanded rsmu zones that we make this frontage strip a requirement now that does not compete with the incentivized larger setbacks that would go from ground floor all the way up to the top of the building so this would be an add and could exist together with that but i think it's important for us to consider how we can improve at the ground level there is a photo um in the supplemental i provided today i urge my colleagues to take a look at it it illustrates exactly this concept um i don't know mayor if you're able to show just this photo is that i don't have your document i don't know what physical copy is it oh it's posted online um bring up on the sixth page there is a so I can't just photograph. Thank you. Well, I, did I can share screen with that if it's helpful to. I'm That's looking at it right now. Great. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much. Yeah, I appreciate it. Up just a second. So it really illustrates what a huge difference this small, relatively small frontage zone. Thank you so much, Council Member. Yep. This is the difference. These two photos are taken a few blocks from each other. And this illustrates what you gain in the public realm with this ground floor frontage zone. And so I urge my colleagues to consider adopting this as a requirement for CT and um, RSMU zones along with the optional uh, larger and more generous setback concept already here. Um, I also think that given the enormous value that is being conferred on these parcels, requiring a full amount of both indoor and external open space, is not a burden. Um, obviously, we can imagine that uh, even if construction becomes more expensive as a building gets taller, that there has to be at least a 25 to 50 percent increase in the value of the land, if not a doubling of the value. And asking for 
both interior open space, we know as units become smaller, and I think we can expect dorm type units to be built in this area, that having the type of on-site amenities that dorms traditionally have, common rooms, libraries, um, common areas to socialize, uh, and, and workspaces, uh, all of that space is, is externalized when you have very small units. Requiring that within the building and, and gym facilities, I think, is not a burden. Uh, but we also need to have some open space. And I think we have reduced it too far here. And my uh, recommendation, and I believe open space certainly has been considered by the planning commission, mm -hmm. that we um, require um, the full amount of both interior and exterior mm -hmm. open space. On the landmarking, um, there are a lot of historic and cultural resources in this area. And I wanted to note um, in the EIR, I was kind of surprised to see um, on page 77 that um, it appears that our EIR doesn't consider cultural and uh, Native American resources at, on UC Berkeley's property. So all it studied was cultural and, and um, archaeological resources in the city of Berkeley's jurisdiction. And it notes that they're only found in West Berkeley and around Indian Rock, which I know not to be true. There are many, many sites with cultural resources within Berkeley. But one of the largest Native American settlements was on the UC Berkeley campus. The faculty club is built on, on a mound and Strawberry Creek was, this was the main wintering area for Native American people and the Ohlone. And it's not considered in our EI park and the potential that there are nearby resources is not considered. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that is something, uh, perhaps technically, that's how EIRs are done. But even our EIR, my point here is even our EIR does not adequately cover historic and cultural resources. Now, the reason why impacts on historic resources are not noted as a change in this EIR is because they were already at the highest <clears throat> level. Previous EIRs already found that impacts to historic resources were, I'm not sure what the language is, extreme, whatever the highest level is. So from a technical EIR perspective, they can't note any greater impacts. But I think we all understand that if we're doubling or tripling the development potential here, that the pressures on historic and cultural resources are extreme. So I'm asking my colleagues here to consider a referral with a budget allocation uh, request for us to proactively study and potentially in, and initiate landmarking, historical and cultural sites. I want to emphasize for those who are not fully familiar with the impact of landmarking a structure or a location, you can still potentially 
tear down a historic structure. You can adapt it, you can add, but at least you get a process that bypasses any kind of by right removal and destruction of historic and cultural resources. And I urge my colleagues to, to add a referral around the historic resources. Last but not least, I had hoped that we could um, require that the affordable housing be um, provided on site. Um, I have had further discussions with staff and my understanding is that we are not allowed to do that. And so um, unfortunately um, that is not possible. So that does it for my supplementals and I very much appreciate everyone's consideration. Thank you, Councilor Harrison. Uh, yes, I have some questions for both authors of the supplementals, but I also had some initial comments. Um, first, I want to say that I was a co-author of Council Member Worthington's Student Housing Now measure, and um, Councilmember Robinson, it's not that this is a problem now. This has been a problem eternally. It was a problem when I was a student. It was a problem when the mayor was a student. This is a constant problem. So trying to solve this problem is really critical. And I like the idea of more housing near campus and taller and denser housing is not my, my concern here. Um, but I do have some questions for the, for the co-authors. I'm going to start with Councilmember Hahn by thanking her, particularly for this issue of the ground level stepping in. We are not stepping back anything above that. And I think that's an important consideration. Look how much better that looks. Look at the space it gives people to sit, to be protected from the elements and to have a, a lively looking city. So I think that is one of the best recommendations in this package. And I really appreciate you putting that forward. Um, in terms of the ho affordable housing on site, I wouldn't support that anyway, because it's very hard to judge whether students are low income, they move in, they move out. I don't think it's the right tool for this neighborhood in any event. So I'm glad that you're pulling that. And I'm not going to comment on the legality or illegality of it. I do not agree with staff assessment on that in other parts of the city. But in this neighborhood, I don't think we should be doing that. Um, my um, concerns about the green roofs are something I would love to support citywide, but it feels like something that should be separate and apart from this. You know, so some, that idea, which is so important to us and in protecting the environment as we build more concrete, essentially, and prevent water from going to the ground table and the provision of natural uh, resources, is that we have to do that citywide. So that leads me to a question for staff, if I might, Mr. Mayor. Yeah. And that is, if we, if we pass this, and then let's say next month or in two months, we pass green roofs. How does that apply to new applicants? If we have additional standards that come in later, do they apply to new applicants? Or because this zone, this is zoning, this is not project approval, this would lie alongside, the density would lie alongside the new requirements, for example, for green roofs, when somebody came in with an application after that time. Is that correct? Mr. Klein? Yeah, Councilmember Harrison, um, what we've been seeing in Berkeley is that most, most new housing projects have been taking advantage of SB 330's uh, process for vesting development standards. And so um, new applicants that come in and file uh, an SB 330 application lock in the development standards that are in effect 
at the time that their the complete application was submitted. And so that's that's what we've been seeing happen for the last okay. couple of years. And I anticipate that uh, any project could take advantage of new development standards, file an SD330 application. And even if council adopts a subsequent requirement for, for green roofs, that they wouldn't be required to comply because of their SB330 vested rights. Okay, I understand, but they would, it's on application. It's not like someone has a dream of doing this. And because this zoning passed today, this is it without the green roofs. This person with the dream, we come in, we pass green roofs. Let's say we do, we may, we may not. That will apply on application. I just want everyone to be clear on that. So I'm not saying no to the idea of green roofs. I just think including it here doesn't really work for me because it's such an overarching important thing. Um, I do want to talk about the open space. By doing open space the way we are and eliminating the requirement for some of the open space, we are essentially giving away something that normally a developer would have to request in some session or waiver. So one of our tools, as people ask for density bonuses, is they get a certain number of concessions and waivers. And what we're saying is, you don't need to apply for that anymore. You're off the hook for that. We're doing that writ large. And so I want to thank Councilmember Khan. Also, I do support her idea of requiring the indoor, the interior and exterior open space. I don't think we should give that away at this moment. In that regard, Mr. Klein, you and I have had a long discussion about something that's going to sound very small. I do not like including the pet watching room as open space. <laughs> I think it sends a very weird message and I would ask that we strike that. All these other spaces are recreational spaces. Trust me, washing my cat is not a recreational activity. <laughs> I don't ever want to do it. This is not recreation, okay? This is like doing your laundry. So I really would ask that we take this thing out. The rest of these are recreational. You're playing pool, you're sitting with your friends, you're going to the gym. But this one, I just cannot go that far. I'm sorry, I thought it was really an odd thing to include. Um, and then I want to turn to um, Councilor Robinson's supplemental now. I have to say, I appreciate the inclusion of labor standards. As you know, I'm a co-sponsor of Hard Hats. However, there's a poison pill in here that I cannot support, and that's 4B. You are suddenly jumping over state law about SB 35. Maybe this will happen in 2027. Maybe it won't. You are saying that citywide, we are going to allow for ministerial approval citywide. I want the public to hear this. Any project anywhere in the city that has 10% affordable housing will be approved ministerially without any of our other development standards. I can't accept that. You're taking an extremely important project about one part of the town, which I support, and you've added a poison pill by saying this is going to apply everywhere. And I know it's only a referral, but I object to this. I object to this coming in yesterday, this way, making a statement about something citywide, just like I don't accept your green roof, because I think it should be thought about citywide. I don't accept this. And I just have to tell you, I, I cannot vote for this if this is in here. I cannot tell you how strongly I feel about it. Suddenly, going to a citywide. The entire world and the majority of Americans that call for an immediate ceasefire. Uh, one, let's take a pause for a second. Okay. Yeah, wait, 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 wait. The, the, mic, the mics are unmuted. Should we ask them? Sorry, Councilor Harrison. That's okay. I'm fine. fine. Thank you for. How do they unmute the mics? No, they can hear you. So I want you to talk louder. That's all. Okay. Can you just mute them in Zoom? Yeah. 
Do we need to be connected to the boardroom? All right, just to get y'all's attention. But Mark, do we even need to be connected to the boardroom anymore? No. Can we can we just yeah? So can I just remove that move forward? Uh, yeah, I'm removing it. Yeah, yeah. we're still discussing those we public comment. Yeah, it's too much. It's too much. Thank okay. Not taking public comments in person. Yes. Yes. Um, okay. Possibly can know. Hold on. We just get it. Just, oh, I apologize. Yes. That's okay. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Okay. We can, we can proceed. Sorry, Mr. Harrison. Oh, that's okay. So, you know, Councilor Robinson, as much as I respect your efforts to really do this great thing on the South Side, suddenly doing a citywide thing in anticipation of maybe a state law at only 10% affordable housing when our requirements are 20% is just uncalled for. And I don't even know how it ended up in here. We don't, this was never considered by the Planning Commission. I know you're making a referral, but I don't appreciate this. You're trying to change the way we approach all of our projects citywide by using a zone. And it's just not okay. I respect you as the council member for that zone. And I like the denser housing there, but this is just a non-starter for me altogether. So, um, okay. And then I wanted to ask about master leasing. The, the evaluation of profitability for these projects, which we did when we looked at the Southside plan, does not depend on developers paying no taxes. It depends on the value of what they get when they, they rent out the building, the profit they're going to make with some of these new zoning standards, you know, reducing the setbacks, et cetera. That's how the evaluation was done. It nowhere said we need to give them a massive tax break in order to get this to be profitable. So I just want to lay that out first of all. I know the mayor's been working very hard on trying to get a agreement finally with UC about master leasing. It was called for in the long range, the settlement agreement. It was due in July of 22. We haven't succeeded at that yet. And I don't care about the buildings they have right now, frankly. They're not paying taxes right now. What I want to know, Mr. Mayor, is where is it in writing that UC will not do this anymore? Because we're going to approve changing all of our development standards. These people are going to make a lot of money. And that's a good, I don't resent that. But they are going to make a lot of money. I don't want some 26-story building going up and UC going, great, we'll master lease that. And then all of our financial analysis and the benefits of this are out the window. Mm -hmm. So can you tell me any more about sure. that? I appreciate the question. Um, well, I want to call attention to the email we received from Ruben Lazardo, which talked about the discussions that have been ongoing with the university. And there are many elements of the settlement agreement that we've been working to try to implement. This is one. Um, I will be meeting with the chancellor next month to continue the discussions. And, um, you know, I, I think the, the settlement agreement does say that, you know, we're trying to reach an agreement to end master leasing. But if for, if for some reason the university needs to continue master leasing because they don't have an adequate number of beds for the students who need housing in the city of Berkeley, um, then I think we would want to discuss some payment in lieu of taxes agreements. Um, so that this, so that the city of Berkeley is getting some tax revenue from the university, if that ultimately is going to be the case, I have put that on the table. 
Okay. This is something we talked about. Um, <laughs> if the university is not ready to fully terminate master leasing, there needs to be an agreement that we're getting some sort of tax payment, voluntary tax payment to the city of Berkeley um, in exchange for that. But my goal is to effectuate an agreement that would end the practice of master leasing. You so the so current versus future. Yes, I'm, referring, I'm referring to they are committed to, well, as stated in the um, uh, in the email received from Gisardo, uh, the mayor and the city manager and our two leaders plan to take up this conversation again in December. At that time, I expect the campus leadership to provide more specific details, the number of university beds that need to be completed in order to begin to release any of the remaining master leases. It's important to note that the timing of the phase out is dependent on the completion of university developed housing projects. So, uh, yeah. So that that's so that's releasing the existing ones. I'm not focused on that. Have they promised not to master? No, because the, because the negotiations are still ongoing. Yeah. And but the 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 language of the settlement agreement is to meet, confer in good faith to reach an agreement to end the practice of master leasing. That is the goal. That is my goal. Okay. Um, but if for some reason they're not ready to fully commit to that, I want to make sure we get something in return, that we get some sort of payment in lieu of taxes, if that is going to be the case. And how do we do that? It would be a voluntary agreement with the campus. Yeah. I mean, I think my issue with this.
recording in progress and they can be trash eddies and, and i think we have to be really careful about that although again i do like this idea of the first floor setback um, moving on to number four requiring both outdoor open space and indoor amenities i think it's poison pill it could physically preclude the sort of housing density that we need on south sides and our planning commission frankly has already voted to support the text says there is no reason why properties cannot provide both open space and indoor shared amenities, but I don't agree that the level of open space the proposed zoning requires forcing all of that open space to be outdoors would result in some of the taller buildings simply not having enough room on their lot to fill all that open space. For the need for utilities, elevator shafts, mechanical tent houses, um, tent watching facilities, it is simply not feasible to uh, dedicate anything close to 100 percent of root space to usable open space. I would include pet watching facilities in areas, non-recreation. Yes. Um, uh, I think also the university's plan for People's Park will actually make a better, more usable green space. I'm really looking forward to it for students and for all the rest of us. Right now it's unusable. Um, I don't think the UC campus has seen significant diminutions of its green spaces in recent years. They built some new buildings, but we still have Memorial Glade, Faculty faculty Glade, Upper and Lower Sproud, Campanile Esplanade, and lots of other wonderful places to hang out in, in park-like environments. Um, what I think the students really need is more indoor gathering spaces so they can make noise and not <laughs> be considered to be pollution, um, as, as some people suggest. Especially since you know the Bay Area has wonderful weather, but we're you know there's a large part of the year when it's rainy or chilly or foggy, and it's nice for people to be able to to hang out inside. So I think that's my my response on that. Number five, landmarking. Um, I think our landmarks process, to the extent I know about it, needs comprehensive reform, and that's only going to be possible at the ballot box. So I think we're just creating more work by doing something in the South Side specifically. Um, uh, ahead of that, but I, I do agree that we need to do something about our landmarking uh, process. Number six, additional affordable housing requirements. We already have affordable city-wide housing requirements, but I think this just is an overlay that's uh, not appropriate. Um, the comments about the co-ops, I don't, I don't see this as a threat to the co-ops. If they want to rebuild larger buildings, um, more power to them. So. So I don't think that's a real issue. Um, wrapping up, um, I just have general concerns about new housing always being loaded with, with new and expensive requirements. Um, the city has lots of fees based on unit counts, square footage, total construction costs. They already scale the size of new buildings. And housing itself, especially in this area, is a community benefit in and of itself, per se. Um, and that brings me to the idea about um, the master leases. My understanding is that there were five significant master leases. Two have already been released that you see, you know, I'll refer to the mayor, obviously, on, on this issue. But you see is just concerned with, with making sure that its students can be housed. And they're late to the game. There's no question about that. Um, but if there's enough housing built, they will be a lot less concerned. So I see this as a problem that ultimately fixes itself. Um, 
and you know, I just think the more housing that's built in the south side, the less it is likely that you see will consider master leasing and knocking on unit. We'll be able to build housing pretty soon, or you see will on people's parts. Um, I really, for these reasons and others, I strongly support moving forward with the south side zoning amendments proposed by staff uh, and approved by the planning commission along with council member um, Robinson's uh, supplemental. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much, Vice Mayor Bartlett. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Uh, who are my glasses during the speak, even though I can't read with them on, so it's like just to take them off. Uh, I wanted to uh, thank uh, Robinson for your diligent work and on the process. Uh, big day for your district and some of mine too, actually. Uh, that turns out. And, and yours, right? And, yours. and, uh, and staff, uh, planning staff, everyone, thank you for your, your hard work here. Uh, it's been a long process. And I guess I'll just frame my comments with. Um, you know, the reason I ran for office in the first place is because of the, the violent gentrification in my district, where it was more profitable to rent to students. They pushed out a long time, uh, so with the residents, and they're in for obviously just something about that. And that's pretty much been the thesis of my office the entire time in office here. Uh, and so, um, the constant complaint was that we're there, the university is not building dorms, and therefore we had to shoulder the burden. Uh, and so in this instance, I'm really happy to maximize housing near the campus so they can live there and let the people of South Berkeley uh, continue to live in peace. Uh, <laughs> so I, I support this full, wholeheartedly. Um, with the details and the, the nuances of it, I do have some comments. Um, you know, I've had the, the benefit of in pretty much most of the major cities in America, uh, New York, Chicago, LA, San Francisco, um, and so I can tell you the, the great thing about cities is the walkability, the accessibility, and several to that is the, the retail, ground floor activity, and sidewalk space. So you can enjoy it. Um, and so I do like the setbacks uh, and the interesting frontage design, just by down some of our so since we're um, hot. And really, really support those. Really deep. And I see that the windows and the green space requirements are are wonderful, and they should be citywide. Um, but my understanding from from Jordan Klein is that 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 they were not required, they were not studied by the planning commission, so it therefore uh, delay things by the planning department, planning commission's workload, which we know can take a long time. So I like them in spirit. I want to see if they're right, but I don't support it. Uh, in this instance, because I think we'll delay the project and I want to get this one built as soon as possible. Uh, <laughs> and um, and Professor Robinson's additions are wonderful. I do think um, the I, I, I definitely want to want to redouble my commitment uh, to always listening to uh, the concept of shared prosperity and these buildings and this great life that comes from going to UC Berkeley and living in Berkeley. Uh, and the wealth of generation should be shared by the workers in the community. So uh, labor standards and wage requirements, standards, uh, I support every time. Uh, and the the notion of um, somehow leveraging that and saying that the 10% affordability, I think uh, is problematic when we require 20%, because again, 10% um, is, is fewer uh, ordinary people participating in our good life than 20%. So I'm gonna always hold with that maximum inclusion 
uh, and shared across priority whenever we can. So um, that's my my nuanced take on this this uh, this effort today. Thank you, Councilor Kisawani. Thank you very much, Mr. Mayor. Um, thank you to our staff uh, for all of your work on this item. And uh, I want to thank former Councilmember Worthington and, mm -hmm. and current Councilmember Robinson for their leadership on this. And I'm very pleased with the very ambitious standards that are uh, proposed today. And uh, I really want to keep the focus on students. And I think about my Gen Z niece who traveled from India in August to earn a master's at UC Berkeley in environmental engineering. Uh, she took on tens of thousands of dollars in student loans. And I know from her experience that students are desperate for a safe place to sleep that they can afford. And I think we have to keep the focus on students trying to better their lives, as Councilmember Bartlett just said. That's why I support the general thrust of Councilmember Robinson's motion. I think it's it's uh, not going to be surprising that I do have a concern about moving forward with a requirement for prevailing wage in the south side at a threshold of 50,000 square feet. And I want to explain why. I appreciate that relaxing zoning to the degree that we are would presumably lead us to believe that large projects could absorb additional costs for prevailing wage. Uh, we also know that there are a lot of factors that go into a developer's pro forma. And specifically, we know that they don't always choose to maximize the buildable envelope. Uh, you can look at the example of the North Berkeley BART market rate project. Uh, that project is proposing to, build, to be built out at six stories, even though they have the ability with the objective design standards to go up to eight stories and have more market rate units. Uh, and, and, and they could do that and remain within wood construction and keep their construction costs lower than if they exceed eight stories. So I, and I, and I know we're talking about the South side here and I understand it's a strong rental market, uh, but I, I just wanna respect what I do not know and what we may not know about um, this requirement that um, is significant. You know, we have to acknowledge prevailing wage is very important. It's also a substantial multi-million dollar cost. Um, so I want us to have a feasibility analysis before we say for certain um, what threshold this is going to apply to, because I, I have no doubt that the very large projects uh, can absorb this and should absorb this and, and often do. All right. Uh, so uh, my, my, my hesitancy is about this 50,000 square foot threshold um, that hasn't been studied first. Uh, I, I know this council is pro-labor. Um, I am too. I, I just am also pro-data, pro-feasibility analysis prior to adoption. So, and, and the other thing is I want to make sure that the jobs actually materialize because when we put in a lot of requirements, uh, we have to be careful that it doesn't render the entire project infeasible. You know, I'll also note that the 50,000 square foot threshold is the same one for our hard hats ordinance. I, I do understand from our health, housing, and community services staff that the feasibility study is underway for that requirement. And I, I do want to appreciate the other piece of Councilmember Robinson's motion, which is to do a, a study of this 
And I do hope that uh, whatever comes out of that study, that that can inform you know, whatever future tweaks might need to be made to this. And maybe, maybe there isn't going to be any problem at all. Uh, I, I just feel that, you know, from my perspective, we don't know for sure just yet. Uh, so, um, so, so that's really the only concern I have uh, with Councilmember Robinson's motion. And I, I just want to thank, um, thank the staff again, thank Councilmember Robinson again, and uh, look forward to hearing any further discussion or questions. Okay, any other initial comments or questions before we open the public hearing? We haven't opened the public oh, hearing. Oh. Uh, sure. Councilor Taplin. Uh, thank you. Um, I want to thank Councilor Robinson and staff um, and the commission, the planning commission as well. Um, Prevailing wage is a major priority for me, and I want to see it in more projects, but adopting by right development citywide pending future legislation is premature. Given consideration, given upcoming consideration of middle housing and quarter gun amendments, and I will be more open to considering that were it to be paired with um, local affordability and objective design standards. Thank you. Okay, so with that, we'll open the public hearing on item 13, uh, the um, amendments to the Berkeley Municipal Code, zoning map, general plan, planning study diagram and general plan relating to the Southside Zoning Implementation Program. Does any member of the public on Zoom wishing to speak on item 13, please raise your hand. We will only take public comments on item 13. Two of them. One minute. Um, Cordell Hindler on item 13. Yes. Can you hear my voice? Yes. So uh, I'm going to try to speed up the, the minute process. So. Thank you to uh, the planning staff for uh, for this uh, presentation. So what I got out of it, it was like, you know, we need affordable housing, not only for the seniors, but also for the college students. So I'm thinking that, yes, um, I do support this, uh, this project, but on a side note, I'd rather, uh, I was looking at the, the presentation and, uh, for that open space that could be used like for, to have meetings, you know, like of like city council and other groups. So, I will prefer. I I prefer uh, to approve this uh, resolution as presented by staff, and I'll just yield my time to the next person. Thank you. Our next speaker is Lindsay Sheher. Lindsay will take your comments on item thirteen, the Southside Zoning Amendments. Um, please unmute yourself. Hi. Can you hear me? Yes. Hi, my name is Lindsay Damashak. I'm a student, uh, a third year undergrad student at UC Berkeley. Um, I'm also a president of Telegraph for People, and I'm here in support of this bill. Um, we need more student housing, and we need we need it now. An overwhelming amount of students live on south side of uh, the south side of campus, and there isn't enough housing, let alone affordable housing, to support them. We have an opportunity as the city of Berkeley to really rewrite history here. Uh, if you guys didn't know, Berkeley was the first city in the U.S. to actually mandate single-family housing, and it had a devastating impact not only on Berkeley as a city, but the rest of the country, um, as it displaced neighborhoods of color and encouraged urban sprawl in a car-centric city. I, I really appreciate the conversation you guys were having about widening sidewalks, and I really encourage you to come back to the idea of a car-free 
a card-free telegraph. But also, I really, really do support this bill. I think this is a great step forward to addressing housing and security um, in Berkeley for the student population. And I really think that you guys should support this uh, zoning modification. Thank you. Thank you very much. We'll go next to Sarah Bell. Once again, public comments on item 13 only. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, can we you can. Hear me? Great. Um, hi, um, I uh, am Sarah Bell. I live in D1, and I'm here to ask that we pass the South Side plan without delay and without imposing additional burdens on the construction of homes. As Councilmember Humbert said succinctly, we need to be asking ourselves, will it make the buildings smaller? Will it make them more expensive? Um, I'd like to remind everyone the appalling statistic that one in 10 Cal students experiences homelessness during their time here. Um, and that doesn't even capture the number of students who struggle to stay housed. I have a friend who's a grad student studying monarch butterflies, and she says her biggest stress is housing, but her second biggest stress is her car because that's her backup housing. So I would like us to think about people who might be living out of their cars or worse if we don't build enough housing quickly enough. We need to ask, as Councilmember um, Humbert said, will it make the buildings more expensive? Will it make the buildings smaller? Green roofs are nice, wider sidewalks are nice, amenity spaces are nice, but let's cover the basics before we cover the nice to haves. So thank you, and please pass this plan. It's a great plan. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, our next speaker is Tim Frank, followed by Kelly Hammergren on item 13. Right, thank you very much. I'm Tim Frank with the Alameda County Building uh, Trades Council. Uh, and we want to thank the staff and the council for the hard work they've done over many years. As someone noted, this started in, when Chris Worthington was still a, a council member. Uh, uh, council member Robinson has carried on the charge. Uh, and I want to actually uh, uh, thank in particular right now uh, council members Robinson and Humbert for the supplemental item, which we think is actually a very nice bow to tie on this uh, a policy. And there are really two pieces to this, the first of which is incorporation of, of standards that would uh, uh, be attached to the upzone parcels uh, that you would be uh, um, uh, upzoning with the uh, south, the new side side plan. And the second would be uh, considering the citywide um, uh, policy. And that is just a referral. So there's lots of time to actually discuss the details about that. And I think that the whole council would appreciate that. And, and we do too. We think it, it makes sense to get that right. So we would encourage support for this combination of uh, items. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker is Kelly Hammergren on item 13, followed by Avery Arbaugh. Okay, um, this housing is going to be with us for many decades, so let's make it livable. Uh, Council Member Hahn was a member of Zoning Board for years. Please listen to her suggestions. And I have been reading architectural plans since grade school. Bedrooms without windows is an, is is an issue in currently submitted projects. Architects can figure, to, figure this out if they are required to do so. A window and a door looking at the bathroom is not a satisfactory response. And that is what we can get without implementing this requirement. Uh, heat, iron, heat island impact is real. In 2021, Portland heat dome was 116 degrees. But in the areas with lots of concrete where heat island impact was felt, the temperature was 126 degrees. 
A power failure with no windows in the building becomes a death trap. Uh, narrowing the streets needs to be evaluated by the fire department. There are fewer fires in these buildings, but when they occur, they are very challenging and dangerous and require up to three times or four times as many firefighters to fight them. Um, as, so uh, we should really be having a surtax on these buildings to support the cost of the services of fire mm -hmm. and police. Um, because the rest of us in the city can't really afford to be supporting the services for all of the intensity in this in this building. And I also encourage you not to have minimum units because when we have minimum lot sizes removed, we could have difficult um, lots to build on and that may constrict from building it all on a very small a lot and thank you for removing i hopefully removing the dog washing room um <laughs> with an uncertain climate future we really should have a uh, variable multi-use spaces within the building and so um let's let's consider that and i see i'm out of time i wish i had more because i have more things to cover but um those are those are the main points um, so thank you. Thank you very much. Our next speaker is Avery Arbaugh. This is public comment only on item 13. Hello, uh, my name is Avery Arbaugh. I'm a UC Berkeley student and the president of the Cal Berkeley Democrats. I'm here today in support of item 13 as an important step towards building more affordable student housing in Berkeley Southside. Uh, over 10% of UC Berkeley students report having experienced homelessness while studying and rising prices regularly displace other community members uh, from our city. Um, that being said, while I appreciate the proposals by council member Robinson to ensure that there are fa fair labor standards implemented for future developments, I have concerns about the citywide changes made in uh, item 4B within Robinson's amendment to item 13. I don't believe that citywide changes uh, should be tacked on to uh, something that student organizers have been working on for so long uh, in a political manner. Um, and I really wish that student organizers had been consulted before uh, this was added to the item. I urge you to call a separate vote on uh, 4B uh, by right housing. Um, but regardless, I support more student housing, and I urge you to vote for item 13, ideally in a separate vote from the 4B citywide changes to affordable housing requirements. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker is Free Palestine Z. This is public comment only on item 13. We're not taking any public comment on non-agenda matters. Once again, any members of the public who raise their hands for only taking public comment on item 13, the Southside Zoning Amendments. Breeze Palestine Z, you wish to speak on item 13. Okay. Amon Elzarka. This is once again public comment only on item 13, the Southside Zone units. Hi, I came to this meeting today to speak about the Southside plan and unfortunately my democratic right to speak about this meeting was taken away from me when the council went to a different room and refused to let us talk about agenda items. 
Um, I also want 13? to say that I am here to speak for a free Palestine. You cannot ignore us. Our next speaker is Brett Peterson. This is public comment only on item 13. Hi, uh, my name is Brett Peterson. I'm speaking in support of the zoning changes on the south side of Berkeley that are going to result in more housing being built. Uh, I'm a Cal alum. I know firsthand how uh, the high cost of housing can have decades long impacts on students and also affect non students as well, as we know. Um, students are living in the overcrowded conditions. They're, um, and they're doing that because there isn't enough density, there's not enough homes. So please approve these changes. Um, I, I would like to uh, ask that the council reject the any measure that would reduce the number of total units um, that are going to be built. And, um, you know, all this talk about green space and wider sidewalks, sidewalks, it's very nice. I agree in principle, but I mean, first things first, let's build the housing. And, um, you know, if we want to dedicate more space for that, just take a look at the street parking Let's get rid of the street parking and then plant trees that on land that's currently used for um, private car storage. Um, also, yeah, people are already living in uh, rooms without windows. They're living in closets, and they're doing that because they don't. There's not enough total units, um, which is exactly the thing we're trying to fix today. Thank you. Our next speaker is Chance Boreski. Once again, this is public comment only on item 13, the South Side Zoning Amendments. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Can you hear me all right? Yes. Okay, perfect. Thank you. My name is Chance Boretsky, and I'm here on behalf of East Bay for Everyone, as well as on my own behalf as a Cal alum. Uh, and I want to emphasize how critical it is for the council to expeditiously pass, pass Measure 13 to upzone Southside. Uh, I and East Bay for Everyone are in principle in favor of what Councilmember Robinson is working towards with his supplemental, but it shouldn't hold up passage of the core of agenda item 13 because the sooner that goes through the sooner the city is in compliance with its housing element obligations and you know the sooner we can really start working towards addressing the housing crisis in the city of berkeley i think councilmember Hahn's supplemental is fundamentally a non-starter those are all new constraints on housing that were not studied in the housing element and you know fundamentally imposing new constraints on housing uh that run contrary to the house city's housing element obligations would land the city in immediate hot water with the state. It's just not something that Berkeley can be doing at this point. Thank you very much. Thank you. Our next speaker is Althea. Once again, it's the public comment only on item 13, the Southside Zoning Amendments. Hi, can you hear me all right? Yes. Hi, um, I'm a third year urban studies major at Cal. And while I agree that it's really important to uh, increased density in this area. I do have some concerns about open and public space and the livability of what Southside in the upcoming decades after this is implemented. Uh, hearing other council members uh, bring up their own concerns about this kind of sparks that in me. And I think there needs to be a lot more deliberation on what this will mean for Southside and what Southside will look like and how livable it will be for students. It is not enough to just have give us housing we need, we deserve. And we need open space that um, accommodates us. And I think, yeah, sorry, I'm waiting for the bus right now. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for taking the bus. Okay, we'll go next to Baruch Kadish. If you'd like to speak on item 13, the Southside Zoning Amendments, please unmute yourself. Okay. 
Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I just think the Southside zoning amendments are a good a good idea. Um, I think the idea that they're going to be here with a long time is good because that means students, UC Berkeley students who come here to in 30 years will also have places to live that aren't 60 years old and are instead 30 years old. Um, the faster we can get these built, the better. Um, yeah, I just think these are a great idea. I, I, I don't know. I've heard too many. I don't even go to Cal. I've never been to Cal. I'm whatever. I live near North Berkeley Bart. I, I, I've heard way too many stories of like college students not having places to live. So the, like, you know, the fast, you know, if we could get these built by like next fall, that's great. You know, like, so the faster, the better. Um, and I think this is really important and really good, good opportunity for the city to like add some needed housing. Thanks. Thank you. Our next speaker is David Mendelssohn's public comment only on item 13, the Southside zoning amendments. David Mendelssohn, please unmute yourself if you wish to speak on item 13. Thank you. Uh, I'd like to urge the council to pass the plan without council member Hans supplemental material. I think it's very important to keep in mind that the plan comes in the context of nearly 50 years of downzoning. And those 50 years have done tremendous damage to housing affordability in Berkeley. We have a homelessness crisis. We have college students living out of their cars. And if we had been building housing for the last 50 years, it might make sense to go slow now. But we didn't do that. We did the opposite of that, essentially. We are just starting to unwind the damage, and there's a long way to go. So I hope the council will lean towards the side of more housing rather than less. I hope the council will not let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Again, please pass the plan without council member Hans counterproductive supplemental material as well intentioned as it may be. Thank you. Okay, thank you. We'll go next to Majid Thaika. This is public comment only on item 13, the Southside zoning amendments. Yeah, this is Majid Thaika, one of your disgusting constituent members that you have labeled and and silenced. So um, I am here in support for housing for all Palestinians in Gaza. Um, and I don't think you, you are giving us a right to a voice. That's disgusting on your part. We, we are here listening to you walk on for hours, but. Okay. Thank you. Aya Elzarka, um, we'll go to you next. And once again, this is public comment only on item 13, the Southside Zoning Amendments. Hello, can you hear me? Yes. Hi, my name is Aya Elzarka. Um, I'm not for the zoning. Um, we have a huge issue of houselessness and we need to be taking care of the people in our community and not appropriating land. I'd also like to point out that one of the reasons why we don't have enough resources to take care of people in this country is because we're busy funding a genocide that's happening against innocent civilians in Palestine. And it's completely, you're silencing us, our silencing our voices is related to this issue as well. Okay, we'll go next to the summer. Once again, this is public comment on item 13, the Southside zoning amendments. Summer, if you wish to speak on item 13, please raise your hand. Okay, we'll go next to Anthony. This is public comment on item 13, the Southside zoning amendments. 
Anthony Hello. I'm a longtime Southside resident. I love this neighborhood because of the restaurants and the retail that are attracted by the large number of people who live here. And I make frequent use of the transit service, which is among the best in the East Bay. In recent years, I've noticed more and more traffic around the time that classes let out at UC Berkeley. And if we continue to require new students to drive from Emeryville or San Pablo Avenue, that will be a lose-lose for those residents and for the neighborhoods they drive through and for our city's paving and emergency response budgets. We should be making it as easy as possible to build dense, sustainable new housing on all three sides of the university and at our BART stations. And I urge you to approve this rezoning as one necessary step in that effort. We have council referrals going back to 2017 for this item. And I hope that we can make this a faster process to transform how we accommodate the need for people to live here uh, in the future by staffing up, by moving items forward more effectively, uh, whatever we need to do to get all parts of campus upzoned. And I'd also like to ask you to recognize the benefit and value new residents, including the property and sales tax dollars they bring in, have inherently, instead of imposing new requirements and impact fees on new housing, uh, especially where we should be most be encouraging it, like on Southside. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker is Youssef. Uh, this is public comment only on item 13, the Southside zoning amendments. Hello? Yes. Yes, I'm speaking in support of Sophie Hahn's um, amendment on the zoning plan. Um, she points out very clearly that in this push to overdevelop the South Side area, there is zero parks, not one public park in the entire South Side zoning area. There are zero public gathering spaces. This is Blackstone development attempting to push through a massive development plan around our campus and each one of you council members who overlook the fact that there are zero green spaces in the area are on the take you're being bribed by developers blackstone the housing partner of uc that is who is trying to build in the south side neighborhood they were founders of blackrock the ones who are funding weapons in gaza this is Blackstone and BlackRock are the same companies. So the developers building in the South Side are the ones profiting. The tenured professors whose management of their assets in retirement is Blackstone. They profit off of the destruction and the death. Our next speaker is Max Davis. This is public comment on <laughs> item 13 only, the South Side zoning amendments. Hi, uh, my name is Max Davis. Uh, I was a UC Berkeley student from 2008 to 2012 and lived first in the dorms and then um, on the south side of campus. Um, and uh, at that time, I thought of Berkeley as just so expensive and um, students had to take out huge amounts of loans, uh, partially to cover um, rent and um, to live in to live near campus, which most students wanted to do. Um, I was in first a one bedroom apartment with two people and then I was in a four bedroom um, a, a house that was broken up um, into I think three or four units, but our section was four bedrooms and at any one time there were between eight and 12 people living there. Um, two sharing a bedroom and often people on couches, uh, sometimes like freshly graduated um, students like friends so and that wasn't uncommon I would go over to friends houses um, and there would be a uh, in the living room, you know multiple beds um, and that was 10 years ago and i've only heard it's gotten a lot worse, um, so I really encourage you to uh, yeah, increase the amount of housing that can get built on south side, thank you. 
Thank you. Our next speaker is Todd Andrew. Once again, public comment item 13, the Southside Zoning Amendments. Oh, hi, Mr. Mayor. Can you hear me? Yes. Todd Andrew in District 5, a 17-year uh, tenant in a rent control department at Hopkins in Monterey. And I'm just calling to speak up in favor of the staff and planning commission proposal. Um, the best thing I can do for as a tenant and as a tenant advocate is to advocate for more housing for my fellow tenants. And I just want to read a piece uh, from Chris Elmendorf that appeared in the San Francisco Chronicle opinion section over the weekend. The density bonus law is absolutely necessary. Across California, local development standards that might have seemed sensible in isolation have accumulated into an intractable morass. City planners don't understand how their various requirements interact and thwart development, and they freely admit it. In a recent self-study, San Francisco planners told state regulators about housing development in the city, quote, what we hear repeatedly is that it isn't one or two or even 10 things that constrain the process. Instead, it is the accumulation of the many hundreds of requirements, the death by a thousand cuts, unquote. Meanwhile, a few years earlier, Los Angeles's self-study concluded, quote, Los Angeles's zoning code was last comp comprehensively updated in 1946. Since then, every time a complex issue arose, the only practical way to address the problem was to create new zones, entitlements, or overlays. The code has grown to over 600 standard format pages with more than 70 types of discretionary entitlements. The code is not living up to the needs of the city. Please, quote, unquote, please uh, simplify, do not complicate the code. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. Um, Majid Faika, we already called on you. Neiman Alzarka, we already called on you. Summer, did we already call on Summer? Her audio was perfect. Okay, Summer, we'll go to you next to the public comment item 13. Hi, I'm one of your constituents. I'd first like to start off by saying that it's incredibly rude and hurtful that you call this disgusting and too much for coming here to exercise my democratic 13? right. I am speaking on item 13. You called me disgusting, and I'm here to say that I came what? to speak about this item, and it is unacceptable that you said that about your constituents. Second of all, free Palestine. You will not shut us down. We will be at every single meeting in the Okay. Um, are there any other speakers on item 13 who have not already spoken? Okay, I will move to close the public hearing. Second. Okay. Um, if you can please call the roll and close in the public hearing. That does not preclude any questions. Staff. Councilmember Kesarwani? Yes. Kaplan? Yes. Bartlett? Yes. Harrison? Yes. Hahn? Yes. Lengraf is absent. Robinson? Yes. Humber? Yes. And Mayor Aragine? Yes. You made the public okay. hearing. So I just want to just say for the record, if I may take a point of personal privilege, yeah. I said nothing to the effect that any members of the public were, quote, disgusting or were, you know, maligning any members of the public. I certainly don't appreciate that they prevented us from being able to conduct our, our city business. Um, but uh, nonetheless, uh, everyone has a right to speak. Um, and I just want to say the record, I did not say anything to that effect. I don't know why people have that assumption. Um, okay, bring it back to the council for further discussion. Councilor Robinson. Good morning. Thank you so much. I want to express my gratitude to all my colleagues on the council for their comments and their contributions to the discussion and all the members of the public who have spoken. Uh, there is so much exciting material before us, and I think there's a, a great consensus and appreciation for how important and overdue these zoning changes are. Uh, and I think I can feel in this conversation you know, Southside is one neighborhood in our city, but it's a, a neighborhood that so many folks in Berkeley have a deep relationship to. Perhaps they came to Cal as a student once and have dedicated themselves to the city since. Uh, and it's also a neighborhood 
whose student housing crisis within a crisis, the externalities of that ripple out to all of us. Uh, and so there's great urgency to the reforms that we're taking up today. I want to respond at a high level to some of the conversations that have come up uh, and then revisit my proposed direction today. First, on the conversation around historic resources, uh, with great appreciation for the intent behind the language, I think the most responsible next step for us in this endeavor, if there is room to do so, and I, I defer to the Budget Committee on this matter, is to fund the outstanding budget requests that we have from the LPC to take up that historic context statement. I think this speaks to a number of the goals that have been described here, and I don't think that a dedicated effort around historic preservation and landmarks to precede the upzoning Southside uh, as a strategy or a precedent that we should take. But, but I do strongly support funding that historic context statement so that we can get this work done and front-loaded citywide. On the conversation of affordable housing, with profound appreciation for the urgency for creating opportunities for more affordable units for students, uh, I really want to echo the comments of Councilmember Harrison uh, and remind us of the challenges that our on-site BMR units uh, often have for students in this neighborhood. I think in many ways, you know, this complicates some of the bigger policy conversation we've been having about whether to prioritize on-site or in-lieu uh, affordability options for new construction. Students are so seldom able to qualify for these affordable units because they are often dependents uh, and therefore disqualified, and also just because of the realities of the lottery system and how long it can take to qualify for a unit. Um, so I think, if anything, the proposal we're looking at here might actually be almost the the inverse of the best way uh, to approach making sure there's more access for affordable units for students. On the conversation about master leasing, um, so again, back to Councilmember Harrison, uh, I want to say I think from everything I've heard from you, I am on that exact same wavelength about this policy issue. I do not want to see new master leases from the campus, uh, and I'm glad that we're phasing them out, uh, but also don't think that we should be accelerating that phase out beyond what has been laid out for us right now, that as new university construction comes online, existing master lease agreements will continue to be dropped. My first read of the communication we got from Mr. Lizardo had me assuming that there had been a commitment to not have new master leases. I cannot speak to whether that was a, an unintentional omission or, or what, um, but I appreciate you pointing out that the letter of the language does not make explicitly clear that there is a commitment to not have new master leases. So that, that is a, a policy will, and I think a, a position that I very much agree with. Uh, what I wonder is, you know, whether what the most appropriate way to express that is, or if there's an appropriate way for this body to do so, because what I don't want us to do is to interject in a way that's not productive to the ongoing negotiations that the mayor's office is having with the chancellor's office. And it sounds like that conversation is very close. Uh, so I want to appreciate the update that we just got from the mayor on that. Uh, and I think that's where I'll leave that conversation right now. Which brings us uh, to my proposed motion. Um, if I may share screen, I've been tinkering with this uh, and I'd like to provide us an idea of some direction. Uh, let me start by saying at a high level, I think what you'll see here is that I want to embrace uh, as many of the issues that have come up so far uh, in responsible ways that I can, uh, but you'll hear from me generally a reluctance to adopt uh, new specific language changes or commitments to uh, policy additions to take up directly alongside the zoning changes that 
I haven't really dug into and I know our staff haven't dug into at the level that they deserve, but I think are really ripe and appropriate for referral for additional work by our city staff. And in most cases for considering- That's Robinson, can you make the document larger on your screen? Yes. I absolutely yeah. can. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> I can. Google is a is that better? Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's better. Thank you. Um, better. Is it? Is it good enough? Can I go bigger? No, no, it's good. Bigger. Bigger. Oh, bigger. Oh. They want bigger. I'm hearing bigger. They want bigger. The people want bigger. Okay. Is that good? <laughs> yes, that's that's good. Yes. Yes, okay. that's good. That's good. Um, thank you. Uh, let me let me take this one red line at a time. I hope this is the most uh, useful way to illustrate what we're looking at. Um, first, uh, in coordination with the city attorney's office, uh, they have concluded it's very important that we have a backstop effective date for the adoption of the zoning changes themselves, uh, because procedurally and legally, we have to account for the possibility that if we index the or link adoption of the zoning changes to adoption of the prevailing wage policy, which mm -hmm. will come before us soon, procedurally, we have to be prepared for the possibility that that doesn't pass. Of course, I hope it will, uh, but it's important that we write in a backstop effective date since we would have a first reading on a prevailing wage policy theoretically before the end of the year. The soonest there would likely be a second reading might be either at the very end of the year or beginning of the new year and 30 days out from there, March 1st is the most responsible place to place a backstop effective date. So I've written that in there. The second piece is still uh, adoption of the resolution is presented by staff. The third piece speaks to the prevailing wage requirement on Southside. Uh, I've added language to specify staff should revise the language as appropriate to conform to the municipal code and should revise the language to ensure that registered apprenticeship programs are recognized, not exclusively those associated with the Building and Construction Trades Council. Looking to the citywide uh, referral and the study of prevailing wage requirements. Uh, I want to really appreciate what, what I've heard about the consideration of what we've called 4B here, uh, this idea of an incentive system to mirror provisions in SB 35. Um, first, I want to emphasize that these are ideas and goalposts I think are valuable to put out there for the purpose of study and consideration of developing requirements and incentives. So really emphasize that we are not committing to a policy direction here, but I think empowering our staff to explore a universe of options for incentives is valuable and asserting clearly that we not accept SB 35 as a baseline, uh, but that projects that also conform to local affordable housing regulations and objective design standards, perhaps we would consider using ministerial approval as an incentive for prevailing wages. So SB 35 and 423 have a 10% on-site affordability standards. So if we also maintained our local one, what that would mean is a project, like so many projects that we approved today, could be 10% on-site and 10% in lieu, or perhaps a higher percent on-site. Um, so that is how I would propose amending that direction. Uh, the fifth speaks to Windows, which you've seen, and I'm adding a sixth section as uh, a conceptual referral here, which uh, I'll call the green and open spaces in new construction referral. This is an attempt to capture a number of the very good ideas that I'm hearing about uh, activating pedestrian spaces uh, and the distinction between frontage strips and setbacks and recognizing that there are opportunities to encourage new construction to create more active 
sidewalk spaces, pedestrian spaces, without significantly cutting into the massing of the project proper. Let me recite what I have for you here. Refer to the city manager to incorporate incentives for widened sidewalks, activated pedestrian spaces, and green roofs as part of new construction citywide. Staff should consider applying the pedestrian space priority for open space developed for the Southside plan area to other areas or to all commercial zones and should consider other strategies to incentivize sidewalk widening. Staff should emphasize opportunities to activate frontage strips rather than requiring setbacks. I think in many ways, the work that staff has already achieved and delivered uh, through this project for Southside uh, speaks to and is clearly, clearly shares the goals of the language that we've seen in the supplementals. Uh, I think that approach could be considered in other areas, but I also think there's a, a specificity that Councilmember Hahn's suggestion offers to our goals here uh, that is absolutely worth exploring by city staff. Uh, and I hope we can package all that together uh, in a meaningful project that can help shape what new construction looks like all over the city. That is my proposed direction. Uh, and at this time, I'd like to make that as a motion. Second. Seconded by Councilor Humbert. Thank you. Um, we'll Councilor Hahn next, then Councilor Harrison. Okay. And I don't activate any, right? No. Oh, Councilmember Robinson, can you put that back up? Because um, yes, perfect. I, I wanted to offer a friendly amendment, and um, I don't have it anywhere else. So leave that up. So mm -hmm. it says um, refer to city manager to incorporate incentives. Could we say requirements and or incentives, incentives and or requirements? Mm, yeah. Okay. Here. How about? No, I, I like I like where your head's at. Um, refer to the city manager to incorporate um, incentives and or requirements. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I think that would do. I was I was thinking maybe uh, develop and consider incentives or requirements, but yeah, I think appropriate incentives and or requirements. Yeah, I feel good about that. Uh, let's see, and just let me make sure there wasn't anything else. Why mm -hmm. sidewalk that can um I, I took the liberty of providing a, a title for the referral and just throwing that in there. If you have ideas for that, I'd be very open to them. I I think it's fine. I'm not I'm not <laughs> concerned about the, the how you named it, but um it, it doesn't make for a good acronym or anything, but I, I did my best. Don't worry, we don't we don't need an acronym. That's that's the least of our concerns. <laughs> um so I it doesn't include the frontage area idea. I tried to here. Um, let me know if you think that could be more specific. Okay. All right. I'm sorry. I didn't. I didn't see that. It was. It's not up front with the widened sidewalks. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, okay. Um, all right, I appreciate it being in there. And um, can you just scroll back up to the uh, other changes you were mm -hmm. suggesting? Um, Tell oh me when to stop. Now my battery is running low. I don't want to hear a plug. Um, it's going to die in one second. Switch That's okay. Um, okay. That was it. I appreciate it. And so you, you would accept that as a friendly amendment? I would. Okay, great. So um, 
I also, uh, I would actually like to also propose a, um, an alternative motion. Um, I think it's important uh, after consideration of some of the comments that were made here that we only refer things that relate to this south side area upzoning and uh, that everyone, including myself, um, reserve referrals for citywide ideas for future referrals that any of us can bring forward. Um, I think um, we're getting ahead of ourselves here. And um, while some of these ideas that I put forward or that Councilmember Robinson has put forward clearly are things we may wish to think about citywide in the future. I think we have enough on our plate here and that it makes sense um, both from a Brown Act perspective and just in terms of the ability to get changes that apply to this um, south side rezoning in place as quickly as possible without bogging them down in citywide initiatives. So my um, motion, substitute motion, my substitute motion, thank you, Mayor, uh, would be the um, staff recommendation um, plus Councilmember Robinson's um, prevailing wage provisions that apply only to the South Side area at this time, without the without any of the elements of the citywide referral, and I would suggest that be brought forward at another time. So adopt the, the this is the prevailing wage elements just for the South Side area as proposed by Councilmember Robinson. Um, I would then refer the question of what I called in my um, more elaborated referral, um, light and ventilation, i.e. windows, um, to the planning commission and staff and with, with a request that they return to council with recommendations just for the South Side area uh, by, by the end of January or the end of February, perhaps. Um, uh, the idea would be that it, it would be done on a very priority basis. Um, and I, I just note that I did provide in my second supplemental uh, sort of a suggested or illustrative path forward, not saying they would necessarily follow exactly that, but um, there is already some language here in the supplemental that could serve as a starting point. So the third would be to refer the frontage strip requirements for CT and RSM new zones and the incentivization of frontage strips for other zones in the South Side area to the Planning Commission and staff on the same timeline. And again, um, there is some language that could be used as a starting point 
in my supplemental, not at all to um, uh, limit things there, but um, it is there to be helpful. Uh, to remove pet washing rooms from the de definition of open space. Um, so that is my motion. Sorry. Okay. My substitute motion. You have Mr. Corkby taking copious notes. Okay. Got it. Okay. We'll have to restate that before we vote. What did you have? No. Okay, I was finished, but oh, um, okay. Yeah, so, I have one other request, which is um, should the substitute motion uh, not prevail, and I really urge my colleagues to um, join me on that, and, and I assume Council Member Harrison, uh, <laughs> the seconder. Uh, I would like to ask that in Council Member Robinson's motion that the uh, broader referral on labor, the portion of it that is uh, for citywide, be severed and voted on separately. And I believe that's I right. It, it's severable. Is that right, Mayor? That's a question for Alex like Which portion are you severing? Just the citywide? I don't have to frame anymore because it's this. Uh, okay. So, uh, uh, actually, it's just four. All of four. Because isn't the other language already somewhere else here? I'm sorry, I didn't print this out. It's in three. Yeah. Um, the other language is in three. So, the, to sever part four. Part four. Yes, you could sever that section. All of four. All of four. Okay, our rules Thank do you. allow a member of the opportunity to sever something that's severable. So when we take up the main motion, that the substitute motions and pass will vote first on part four, that there are five affirmative votes that will be included in the motion and we'll vote on the motion, main motion. Okay. Um, can I also request a severing at this time? Yes. Okay, I'd like to sever point three of uh, Council Member Robinson's motion, which is okay. the Prevailing wage requirement. Okay. We'll vote outside. separately on that too. Oh, thank you. And my request is we only sever four B because I don't have. Well, now we're voting on all four. So I'm sorry. Okay, now we're voting on all of well, four. Uh, yeah. Well, I guess okay. my question is: that, but... there's been a request to sever four, and now there's a request to take a separate vote on four B. Mm -hmm. Can we do that, or is the vote on four? Wipe out. 4B is in is independent of the remainder of okay. 4, so it so could be we'll voted on separately in 4B as well. Okay. okay. So okay. 4 and 4A is one, and 4B is separate. Right. Yeah. Okay. Can I offer a suggestion? Yes. Councilor Robinson. So I realized the... um. This might necessitate me uh, reorganizing it just a little bit so we can sever everything in a way that works. Uh, the citywide referral and consideration of prevailing wage incentives and requirements is sort of bundled up with the language that makes the budget referral for this feasibility analysis. It's my opinion that if the outcome of this vote is that we just impose this on Southside, we should be doing that feasibility analysis anyway. Uh, and if we take up policy direction to explore this citywide, we should still also be doing that feasibility analysis. So why don't I 
reorganize that section so that the budget referral stands alone from the citywide referral of this policy idea so that then it would be possible to still approve the budget referral even if the policy is only taken up for Southside, but also to take it up if it's pursued in both ways. I I will uh, ask. I, I, I'm, the, I'm still the presiding officer. Okay. I will I recognize members. I thought I was. People, people requested severance, so I'm just dealing with the procedural issues. And I'm going to remove my severance okay. request and refine. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, so, uh, on reading this more carefully, I um, will uh, withdraw my request to sever all of bullet point four and uh, only request the severing of 4B uh, as has been requested by okay. Councilmember Harrison. So I mind parallel. That helps, that helps clarify things. Yeah. So thank okay. you. Okay. Yeah. So we'll vote on when we when we take up the vote on the main motion, but first on part three. There are five affirmative votes to pass part three. That will be in the main motion. And then we'll vote on 4B. And if there are five affirmative votes, that will be in the, the, in the main motion. On the amended 4B or the 4B that we see in the amended. As amended. Did you pull up the motion again, Council Robinson? Yeah, he's the only one. Yep, on it. Uh, and if it is... Oh, yeah, why don't I uh, send an updated version of that doc to the clerk to distribute to again? I wish yeah, we could do it all right now. Also, so he can send it to all of us. That would be yep. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, this is, uh, sorry, I, I should make, four, make it bigger. I will make it bigger. Yes. Um, section four as it exists right now, uh, as amended. Okay. So, there's been a request to sever a vote on 4B. So we'll take that up. And if there are five affirmative votes, that will be in the main motion. Okay. Great. Okay. Councilor Harrison, you were next. Uh, uh, I wanted to take my better that we're fine now. Councilor, was, was it Councilor Kaplan? I want to speak. Stay Councilor Kesawani? Um, no, I, I was just, if it's possible to just keep that um, document up. I can keep it up here. Let me take a moment just to send the doc to Mark to distribute, and then I can keep it up and we can scroll around. Okay, thank you so much. Okay. While we're waiting, are there any other comments? Okay. Um, Why don't we take a, a, a just a brief two minute recess while we wait for the language? Uh, actually, then... if there if there aren't any other comments, do folks feel like they need to have the doc itself, or would it be sufficient for me to just keep sharing screen? Sure. Sure. Uh, both yeah. is yeah. good. Okay. 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 Then I'll then I'll just do that. Great. So why don't we? So first we have unless we, so we're going to close discussion and proceed to a vote on the motion. So I want to make sure that we that every councilor is an opportunity to speak before we proceed to vote. Councilor Barton. So for the record, uh, my concerns have been addressed by the amended version for being by the council. Okay. Um, uh, like this. I'll just say um, that um, I think we first initiated this process in 2016. And uh, it's taken quite quite some time for us to come to us, but the, the 
shortage of student housing has gotten even more acute um, over, over the years. And so I think it's critical that we move forward today. I really appreciate Councilor Robinson for including the language on prevailing wages. Um, I believe that projects will be able to proceed and we can also ensure good labor standards and wage requirements for, for um, uh, the people that are building housing in our city. Um, and, uh, you know, I think the analysis, and I, I do think we should prioritize funding, funding the uh, feasibility analysis will provide more information. And if we need to make adjustments to any impact fees or requirements, we could certainly consider that just like we're going to do so around car pets. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I appreciate Councilor Robinson, you know, listening to some, I think some of the thoughtful comments of Councilor Hahn to look to, to ask that we further study some of these issues around windows and um, sort of ground floor space available for the public. Um, uh, uh, some of those things were not properly considered by the planning commission, so they need to go back to the planning commission. But I do think they, they should they should definitely be uh, further considered. So, Councilor Kisselani. Uh, yes, I I want I wanted to um, suggest. Or well, first, let me ask a question. Um, and Councilmember Robinson, could you scroll back up to the uh, section four? And um, and I'm going to ask a question, but I don't know if the planning director can answer. But my concern with um, studying prevailing wage citywide is that we may have different feasibility thresholds in different parts of the city. Um, Director Klein, do you, can you share any perspective on that issue? Yes. Um, you know, in discussing this with um, our consultant, Rick Jacobus, uh, regarding feasibility, not, not, not in, not pertaining to the current study that's currently underway, because I haven't had the opportunity to discuss this one yet, but the previous study, the finding was that they didn't they didn't really see enough variation um, within the city um, to 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 kind of reach that conclusive finding that there are different standards or levels or thresholds for feasibility in different parts of the city. Uh, okay. Um, okay. So you're essentially saying that. Um, <clears throat> that we can study the citywide, we can pick prototype project sizes and that generally um, that should work whether it's on San Pablo Avenue or in the South side based Correct. on our understanding today. Okay, that's what I wanted to understand. Uh, thank you very much. Okay, so let me, unless there's any further comments, I'll try to restate the substitute motion asked for the first help. It's by a council, substitute motion by Councilor Hans, seconded by Councilor Harrison which is to approve the staff recommendation for item 13. Um, um, uh, minus the citywide referral of prevailing wage. Staff has a referral oh. to look at prevailing wage later. Okay. So, so, so not, not adopting the staff recommendation to defer action on prevailing wage. Right. Not adopting. It's the staff recommendation with the addition of Councilman <laughs> Robinson's prevailing wage language but only for the south side yeah i think that that that, that addresses the issue oh. as well so okay so staff recommendation plus council member robinson's prevailing wage language for the south side only oh. and that would also inc include this the effective date of march 2024 um, or when the prevailing wage ordinance takes effect okay um uh the the windows and height 
and air. Light and air. Light and air language proposal is referred to the Planning Commission on an urgency basis to come back by the end of February. Right. Just for the south side. Just for the south side. Frontage zones referred to the Planning Commission just for the south side on the same timeline and to remove pet washing stations as allowed. Probably <laughs> that's, 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 that's what I have. Yes. That's the substitute motion. That's the substitute motion. Okay. From Councilor Hines. So, yes. Can I say? Oh, well, I had a procedural question. Can on the sever, can we vote first on three and then four? Or do we have to do it the other way? Her, her motion didn't, there was no request to sever on, on her. You were requesting uh, on the main. Okay. So let me, that's let me, let me, that's here. Yeah. So my understanding is that her motion does not include four, correct? It the doesn't Robinson. include four B. I'm sorry, it doesn't include four, correct. correct? Correct, correct. Sorry. So there's no vote to sever on four or 4B because it's not in the Han motion. Okay. On number, th on number three, the prevailing wage, are you requesting a severance on that or only on the Robinson motion? Uh, oh, if it's my motion, then um, I only need it for Robinson's motion. Okay. For number three. Yeah. So there was no request to sever. The prevailing wage oh, from on the motion. motion. And four is not in the Han motion, so we don't need to vote separately on that. Yeah, and just to be clear, it's because I'm trying to be consistent around only having referrals in this item that relate to the South Side plan. I don't think that the public expects us to do citywide referrals based on this work. I'm I'm still a little confused because at one moment I thought you said you were only doing four people, but now you're doing no, no. Four, all four. Four are... is not in her item Got her motion because okay. she's only wants to adopt standards for the south side only. Anything that's citywide, she believes needs to come separately as a separate referral. Correct. Uh, yes, that is okay. So let me once again restate the substitute motion by Councilor Hahn to approve the staff recommendation item thirteen to adopt the um, language from Councilor Robinson. Uh, to establish prevailing wage standards for the South Side only, that does, so that does not encompass number four from Robinson. Okay. Um, to refer to the Planning Commission on an expedited basis, the um, proposal around windows, light, and air, to request that come back to the City Council by the end of February, to refer the uh, proposal on frontage zones to the Planning Commission on the same timeline, and to remove pet washing station, pet washing rooms as part of, of allowable usable open space in the ordinance. Um, and once again, that would also, um, the effective date would be March 1st, 2024, or the effective date of when the prevailing wage policy will be adopted pursuant to capital action, whichever comes first. Okay. I'm, I'm there... the seconder of the motion. So okay. I'm going to ask the author to make a change here. If I'm allowed to do that, which is to only exclude 4B. From my for, motion, for your motion. Otherwise, I'm not sure I can second. I accept. So to so, so to also add Robinson's four language and four and, four, and part A. Yes, correct. But not for but not for Correct. correct. Yeah. I I was trying to make a clean line, but so all the language in that first paragraph of number four and four A is now included in Han motion two. Thank you. 
Okay. Okay. Can I um, just ask, I just, I just feel that, um, I don't know if this was already asked at the city attorney's office, but can, have they opined, is it fine to have citywide referrals in this item? I don't believe that we were asked that question. Your, your question is whether it exceeds the scope of what was noticed. Right. Because that's what uh, Councilmember Hahn was raising as a part of the justification for her substitute motion. So I just want to make sure that we are clear that the main motion is allowable. If you'll give me just a moment to take a look at that, I can get you next. Okay, thank you. People should be mindful that what you're saying is being picked up on Zoom, so, <laughs> so unless you intend for it to be and we also, also remember the press here. Good to see you. Okay, so with regard to the referral for the citywide elements, because the council is not taking a final action on that referral at this time, it would not exceed the scope of what was noticed. Okay. The, only the south side elements would be the ones that are actually finally adopted here during okay. this action. Okay, thank you. Appreciate that. Okay, we get Council Robbins, our Council Member Martlett. Ben, are you here? <laughs> Got a vote. Oh, we'll be close to public hearings, so we won't be taking any additional public comment, but thank you everyone who's spoke. Mm -hmm. We're going to wait for Councilmember Bartlett to rejoin us, and we'll proceed to a vote on the substitute motion. Um, Councilmember. Okay, so on the substitute motion from Councilmember Hahn, if the clerk could please come. Councilmember Kesserwani? No. Kathleen? No. Bartlett? No. Harrison? Yes. Hahn? Yes. Wengraff is absent. Robinson? On the substitute motion. Sorry, I'm mute. No, thank you. Umber. No. Mayor Aragin. No. Okay, motion fails. And now on. So the... now on the main motion, we'll vote first on part three of the Council Robinson. If you can pull scroll down, so you can pull that up. Part three of the Robinson motion, which is the language with respect to um, establishing criminal <clears throat> requirements in the South Side. So we'll call the roll first on that. Okay, just on part three. Yes. Councilmember Kesarwani. Abstain. Taplin. Yes. Bartlett. Yes. Harrison. On yours. No. Are we, I'm sorry. Just on part it's three of like, the main motion. And labor. Prevailing wage. Prevailing wage. I'm really sorry. I'm so confused. Are we voting on your? No. It, it's just a prevailing wage requirement in Southside. Yes okay. or no? On yes. Or yes. Yes. Okay. 
Uh, Han. Yes. Wengraf is absent. Robinson. Yes. Humbert. Yes. And Mayor Aradine. Yes. Okay, that portion is included in the motion. We'll now proceed to a vote on 4B from Councilmember Robinson. That's stated here. Okay, voting whether to include part 4B in the main motion. Councilmember Kesarwani. Yes. Taplin. Yes. Bartlett. Yes. Harrison. No. Hahn. No. Wengraf is absent. Robinson. Yes. Humbert. Yes. And Mayor Aragon. Yes. Okay, that is included in the main motion as, as well. So now on the balance of I the- I say that it's a referral. We're not adopting that as a requirement, which is why I voted for it. So now on the main motion, incorporating those those two components that we vote on separately. Okay. On the main motion, Council Member Kesserwani. Yes. Taplin. Yes. Bartlett. Yes. Harrison. Yes. On. Yes. When uh, Graf is absent, Robinson. Yes. Humbert? Yes. And Mayor Aragon? Yes. Okay, motion carries. Okay, motion carries. Thank you, Mr. Fine. Thank you, staff. That completes item 13. Thank you. Um, and that completes our agenda for this morning. I'll make a motion to adjourn. So move forward. Second. If we can please call the roll of adjournment. To adjourn, Councilmember Kesserwani? Yes. Taplin? Yes. Bartlett? Yes. Harrison? Yes. On? Yes. Wengraft is absent. Robinson? Yes. Humbert? Yes. And Mary Irby? Yes. Okay, we're adjourned. Thank you. We're adjourned.